Meanwhile, back at the Hall of Justice, our mild-mannered podcasters were bombarded by gamma rays, bitten by radioactive bugs, mutated by toxic waste, irradiated with cosmic rays, born into a world that doesn't understand them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 331 of the Talking Comics Podcast. I am your host, Steve Say, and this evening, I'm joined by Mr. Bob Ryer. Hi, Trina. Joey Bertino's with us. Happy National Joe Day. Is it real? <laughs> Is it Joe Day? I saw it on wow. Twitter. I was like, that's not real. Apparently, it's a real thing. Aw, <laughs> oh, happy Joe Day, Joey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. It means a lot. Jessica Schaefer's here. Oh, hello there. <laughs> and special guest host for this evening, Bronwyn Mary Kelly Say. <laughs> Happy to be here as always. <laughs> so, okay. So we've had a couple of like last minute change in plans, but we still have a very, very, very big show for you this evening. Of course, we're going to be talking about a bunch of comics. We're finally going to dig deep into Jessica Jones Season 2. That happened a few weeks back. Uh, a bunch more of us have watched I Kill Giants, so we're going to get a few more opinions on that movie that just came out this past Friday. Go buy it and watch it now. And uh, what else do we got? We got other stuff. We got a huge announcement Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun. <laughs> and I actually think that we're going to kick this week's show. Instead of waiting until the end, we're just going to announce it now. Because, oh, wow. Because Ooh. why not? Um, I would like to surrender the floor to Bronwyn and uh, Jessica. They are going to tell us what the hell's going on. Oh, my goodness. We're going to just jump right in. I like it. Go for okay. it. Well, <laughs> Let's go for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, so our big announcement um, is that uh, Jessica, myself, and um, I am giant <laughs> woman, uh, Sarah, our friend and fellow podcaster, uh, we are going to be stepping out on our own and forming our own podcast and joining the Talking Comics crew as the ladies of Valhalla. Yeah. Wow. Love it. Yeah, so we're pretty excited about it. We're pretty happy to be branching out on our own. Um, so the aim of our podcast is to bring some different perspectives because we are um, great friends who are very different in our backgrounds and our education. And um, I think the thing that brings us all together is our love of comics. But, um, you know, we're three different countries, um, three different <laughs> perspectives educationally and um three very different kinds of nerd. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um so we're going to we're going to bring all of those things to uh bear on our nerdy perspectives on all things comic, all things genre, and all things with a little bit of a lady perspective. So, we're going to do female creators, comics, fiction, art, 
TV, games, movies, nothing is off limits. I think this is in part inspired by the Visible Women hashtag on Twitter, in part by our own experiences as female geeks on and offline. And we're hoping to kind of work with the ongoing Talking Comics, um, hope to create a safe space where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions about what they love, and also introduce our audience to new media properties and creators that they may not know about yet. Woo! Yeah, yeah, so we're pretty excited about it. It is going to be family friendly as well. Uh, it, do you think we should mention that it is going to be an all ages podcast, um, yeah. so that maybe the younger generation can can also listen in and and join us for some of that exciting stuff um, that was important to us. I know Sarah really wanted uh, you know her daughter to be able to listen to it. So you know, yeah, exactly. And and this uh, you know we are going to be focusing on female creators and and um, if things with. Um, with female protagonists and and bringing that female per perspective, but um, this is absolutely going to be a male friendly zone. So we're we're looking to once we <laughs> yes, get ourselves we like, established, we like <laughs> bring on male guests and and have that perspective as well. So this is is just because we we are female centric doesn't mean that there won't be a, a safe space for the men in the audience. Is that the Themis gear of podcast? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Wait, we I can I can be a lady of Valhalla. Yes, you can. can. Of course you can. <laughs> of course you can. Uh, yeah, that was <laughs> that was a major thing for us too. We're not we're not anti man. We're not man haters. Uh, we love you know we love dudes. Dudes are great. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely love dudes. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it's super exciting and like like. Bronwyn said, you know, it's kind of funny because we're all very different. Like one of our things we said was an American, a Canadian and a Brit walk into a room. It's like a bad joke. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. <laughs> it's like the start of a bad joke, but maybe it'll be the start of a great podcast. So. Or the start yeah. of your theme song. Yeah. 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 There you go. Or the start of the War of 1812. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and how did we finish that one, Joey? I feel like it involved the White House burning. Oh! <laughs> Don't get me started! You know, the FBI, <laughs> FBI is going to come swooping down on this podcast yeah. right now. <laughs> so hard. I know, I know. It's awful. Oh. All right. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. Why, thank you for we, offering us this platform. Yes. We've been teasing it for a while. Uh, super duper excited about the show. Um, did we mention that Sarah will be hosting the show? Oh, we didn't actually mention no, didn't. Sorry, Sarah. Yeah, we're hoping to have the, uh, the Brit factor come right in and, and uh, maybe keep us in line a little. <laughs> she reels us back in. She really She's does. like, all right, let's take it back a notch, you know? <laughs> um, behind the scenes, all the ladies have been working very hard on uh, the new podcast, coming up with a format and lots of interesting topics and stuff like that. And uh, I really hope that you check it out. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll bring you more details in the coming weeks when uh, we have more to share as far as uh, when you can expect the first show. Very yeah. good. We, we, Very we are good. hoping to have Sarah with us tonight, but she is sadly under the weather. So feel better, Sarah. Yeah, yes, better, we miss Sarah. you. We're so sad without you. <laughs> she did. She worked so hard on this, too. Oh uh, so God. it was really hard for us not to have her here. We were like, but she's not going to be with us. We are very sad. So we miss you, Sarah. Come back to us. <laughs> we'll have her. We'll have her on soon. We'll let you yes, all take over the show. Maybe you could do a preview. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. Yeah. And then we get the night off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That sounds good. We'll, we'll, we'll highlight the first ladies of Valhalla on the Talking <laughs> Comics slot. We'll go make another podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Like little <laughs> rascals. Yeah. Yeah. With, with the sign spelled with the R's backwards. Yeah. Is anyone else feeling like the Sandlot is about to happen? Sandlot. Yo, okay. I'm glad you brought this up. Speaking of the Sandlot, so many years ago when I started to become obsessed with collecting Funko Pop figures, I've made this tweet several times. They need to make the Sandlot characters as the Funko Pop figures. And they are. As of, yes, as oh, of yeah. today, they're all coming out. Really? Yeah. Yep. Accidental segue, too. Yep. I'm so excited. The Beasts, Smalls, <laughs> wow. Porter, all of Kill them. They're smalls. all coming out, um, including, which <laughs> I really Killing want. Killing me, Smalls. Yeah. <laughs> I want this. I mean, I want them all, but the one that I want so bad is they actually have squints mm-hmm. all, like, waterlogged with oh, Wendy Preppercorn <laughs> as wow. a set. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that movie. So, uh, no James Earl Jones, though. Aww. That's a spoiler, man. Oh, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> How old is this movie now? I wonder if they're going to have... How old is that movie now? They're going to have Yeah, it's, Yeah. I think it's 20, 25 years. I think it's like 93, God, so. 94. Yeah. God. Oh, my God. I'm starting to forget their names. We'll anyway. watch it again. We'll watch it again. Oh, I love the Sandlot so much. We'll talk about it on the next podcast. <laughs> we'll do yeah, a review. Yeah, look, baseball season is about to start. It's a perfect time to rewatch the Sandlot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Correct. You're correct. I love the Sandlot. They made too many sequels, though. Don't watch the sequels. Just Don't watch the original. Watch do you think that there was ever a comic book tie-in to the Sandlot? <sighs> Probably. I'm going to look it up right now. Probably in like Bazooka <laughs> Joe or something like that. You send in 50,000 little wrappers. Uh, you can get the Sandlot comic. I'm going to look it up right now. Talk talk amongst yourselves. I like it. Um, when do you think they're going to reboot the Sandlot? When do you think we're actually going to see that? It's oh, I can't soon. believe we haven't yet. Yeah, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go by next year. I think they're going to remake the Sandlot. Well, they, they sort of did a couple of years ago in an odd way for the Major League Baseball Network. They had their announcers and had major league players reenacting scenes from the Sandlot. The Yankees even did it for uh, charity. I think it was last year. Oh, wow. For the, for the, 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 the regular players out there acting out. They should totally bring back some of the original cast. They're coaching and they're got a, it's, it'll be like uh what the hell is that movie? Is that not ba- yeah, uh, is that bad? Bears? Bears? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> They'll remake that too. Everything's going to get remade. Well, they did. They remade that once again. Was it, uh, who was I was Walter Matthau the person. Who is it? Uh, Billy Bob. What's his name? Oh, oh, um, oh, God. Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah, that's Billy it. Bob Thornton. Yeah, Bad Santa. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, all right. Um, no comic. Remake. There's no comic. Well, there should be. Boom. We should get Boom Studios to do it. They'd oh, be great. Oh, let's jump on that. God. James yep. Tynan and Ryan Side doing yes! the Sandlot. Oh! Yes! <laughs> that just happened. <laughs> Get on it. All right. Um, are we ready to start some lightning rounds here? Yes, sir. sure. Okay. Uh, since we're talking about Boom, I'm going to ask Joey to go first. Okay. Is that, my, is that my cue or is it like... No, no, no pushback? I'm a big boy now, okay? <laughs> you don't need to throw up. No, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I've, I've come of age, okay? 
These are scary to do, okay? This is this is post-Susan Joey. Uh, Whew, yeah. Anything's possible. Oh, the things you can't think. Oh, the places you'll go. exercised all of his demons through the power of uh, theater. Uh, have you ever seen the musical? Because that is a hell of a musical. Yeah. I want to see Joey's musical. Uh, this should be a video. I posted some pictures to the Facebook if you guys want to see any of them. And they're all over the Instagram, too. It was a, it was a fun time. Um, there will be video soon. We asked the film class to do it this time instead of shooting it ourselves, so we'll see how long it takes. Love them to death, but, you know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> well, we need us some video, so you let us know who we need to harass. Uh, yeah, okay. Because <laughs> I'm on it. They're not the theater department. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Joey, you yeah. have five minutes on the clock. Go. Okay, we have Lucy Dreaming, number one, from Boom. Uh, from uh, Max Bemis and Michael Delanus, I suppose, for the, on the artwork. Um, Lucy's just a girl who feels a little too much and wants to be just a little bit more than she is. She doesn't necessarily hate all the cool kids and the smart kids and the sporty kids at school, but she knows she doesn't fit in with them, and instead she wants to escape into the stories that she reads um, in English class and at home. One night, when she's brushing her teeth, her eyes start glowing a little strangely, which she just brushes off as more period stuff. Hey, it happens, whatever. Um, But then she falls asleep, reading a sci-fi book, and her dreams take her into the body of Princess Fadar, and alongside Bark Landrin. In space, on a spaceship, and she has to take out the evil General Wraith in space, in another galaxy, with lasers. Um, but this dream feels a little bit too real, and things get a little too serious, and she can't quite shake it. I like this a lot. Um, it's sci-fi, it's coming of age, it's got all the elements that, that uh, I think Max Remus does a great job weaving them all together. It's fun, it's just a little bit irreverent, which I like. Um, and I really enjoyed the introduction to all the characters. Um, we talked about Max Bemis um, a few years ago when he did Worst X-Men Ever for Marvel, which was awesome. Um, but the real draw for me here was uh, the artwork from Michael Dylanis. Uh, great energy, and I thought it was a really, really cool first issue, and I'll definitely be checking out the next one. Um, also, just briefly, I read... I know some other people read um, Lucy Dreaming, so I want to get to that. But um, for We Spoke Out... I talked about it last week on the podcast as something I was looking forward to. We spoke out um, from IDW is basically a collection of classic comic book shorts and strips and stories about the Holocaust. Um, And it features interviews and essays with the uh, creators of those books from the 50s and 60s and 70s. Um, And it's all collected together by Neil Adams, um, a Holocaust scholar named Raphael Madoff, and a comics historian named Craig Yeo. Um, So it is an astounding collection showcasing uh, the comic creators that essentially took it upon themselves to educate the world about the Holocaust throughout the post-war period. Um, a time which unfortunately did not see a lot of discussion about what happened during the Holocaust for a myriad of reasons. Uh, The first few essays in the book do a particularly good job of setting up why a book like We Spoke Out and all the comics that it collects together are so significant and exist. Um, In the post-war period, after World War II, 
it's, you know, we talk a lot about the culture of the United States and the culture of the world wanting to kind of return to a sense of peace, a, a sense of conformity. And um, that meant in some ways kind of suppressing some of the travesties and, and just terrible, terrible things that happened during the war, particularly to the Jewish peoples. Um, and the comics creators in the post-war period um, even during the war, if we want to be honest, thinking about Captain America and and Wonder Woman and all the stuff going on uh, in the books throughout the early 40s, um, in the post-war period, comics creators at EC and and Atlas and all these places really took it upon themselves to to integrate as much of the Holocaust and uh, um, into their books as possible, talking about survivors, talking about what happened, kind of really challenging any sense of like things are okay now um, and any effort to kind of forget what had happened um, sometimes at the expense of their own careers uh, the collection also asserts something that we've discussed on the show a lot which is the sheer numbers of copies of comics sold and circulated during the 50s and 60s meant that for many kids um, their introduction to anything relating to the Holocaust may have come from these comic strips and comic books in this collection, which is astounding and really cool. I'm still working through it now. Um, I've read about 50, 60 pages of it. The essays are great. The comics are just so cool to read. It's a great piece of history uh, and education, too, and I'm just learning so much um, reading it. Um, so, yeah, we spoke out. It's a really, really cool, really cool collection from IDW. And that's all I got. Wow, dude. Nice. Yeah. They're both oh, cool. Boy. Yeah. I mean, we talk about we talked about Mouse one time on the show yes. and how significant that was. Um, yes. And, you know, a lot of school and when we talked I talked about at the time how a lot of schools like have that in the curriculum now. And Neil Adams opens the book by saying, like, you know, 30 out of 50 states mandate Holocaust education. But that's only been the case since 1990. And <laughs> for the 40 years before that. You were getting that from movies, maybe in your history classes. In some places, like New York and New Jersey, it's been mandated for a long time. But, you know, um, uh, so like he says, a lot of kids read it from these Jewish writers and artists taking it upon themselves to write these comics. Um, and the first one in the book uh, called The Master Race is just this tense, like, thriller where... This guy sees a former Nazi commandant on the subway in New York, and it's it's insane how, how like in terms of the comic book storytelling, it's really mm. engrossing and engaging and thrilling. But at the same time, like the lead into that book is like an essay that basically says this strip got shelved for a year. Because, you know, there was a lot of discussion about whether to publish it. It came out in 55, right after the Wortham stuff, you know. And uh, it was really tough to get it out there. And actually, I think that um, because of the content, it had a limited release. Which was very unfortunate because it's so good. Um, and it's just such a cool learning experience reading the book. Huh. Is that new? Is that a new release? Yeah, it came out last week from IDW. Awesome. Wow. wow, I have to get my hands on that. That it's, sounds amazing. It's yeah, really cool. Oof. Oh boy. Okay. But so, Lucy dreaming Lucy though. Dreaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how about that Lucy dreaming? Eh? Well, you, you told me I needed to. I needed to ride the boom segue into Lucy yeah. dreaming. I couldn't start with we spoke out. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let Bronwyn, please. 
What do you what do you have? Oh my god. Well <laughs> I mean, I really liked it. <laughs> I, it was a little less culturally relevant. <laughs> um I love the use of color. It's really vibrant. It's a lot of fun to read. Um I I really enjoyed the uh the eye shine as a factor of puberty and hitting your period <laughs> couple of times you know I mean <laughs> don't get me wrong having been a teenage girl there's a few things that happen to your body and you're just like really <laughs> <laughs> it's true you're like what is happening <laughs> you're gonna throw that at me too like oh, okay what's this bullshit like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I, I related to that I did but I mean my eyes didn't turn gold I'm not gonna lie they stayed pretty blue but <laughs> I could still relate so this book had a nice sense of of sort of irreverence um that I enjoyed while still having a sense of heart that was really touching especially by the end um and I'm really um I'm really looking forward to the next issue like it, it left me on a good note where I was just like okay I'm in what have you got for me now yeah it's got a, it's a really really good yeah. like setup number one issue of, of launching you into this concept and into like the world of this character that just had her entire world turned upside down mm -hmm. and it's oh it's it's something that she can't escape because it happens when she falls asleep that's unavoidable entirely so either either embrace it and get used to it or you're gonna have a bad time yeah and there's some great twists towards the end where maybe her parents know a little bit more about what's happening than they let on you know and and uh, there's a great twist regarding the antagonist of the this first issue too at the end that's like okay this is a fun little book here you know boom always does great first issues and they, they really commit to the the kind of conceit that they're doing but they hit all the right notes in terms of those coming of age stories you go back to like misfit city dodge city teen dog teen dog did Giant. you read dodge city i read it it was fun <laughs> okay <laughs> That, my friends, is what we call damning with faint praise. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was fun. I uh, I need another issue of that one. That's how I felt when I when I walked away from yeah. it too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, here you, know, you as with with so many of their books, it's your protagonist. Lucy is so instantly relatable. She's sitting around just having cereal with the parents, and it's we thought you were reading that vampire book with the kissing. Instead, she's reading, you know, this bloodthirsty Rena and the Scarlet Menagerie, whatever she, she's reading. And that fantasy world she creates for herself that she doesn't want to be that goth cliche with the chip on her shoulder. When it actually happens, it is kind of cool until, you know, it's not a party till someone gets laser blasted, as she does. Yeah. And it changes her perspective a little bit like, hey, wait a minute. Speaking goes, of... Go ahead, Bron. Go ahead. Sorry. Go, 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 go. Speaking of which, with the lasers and the blasting, there is this one page. Bronwyn actually had it open to this. It's one of my favorite pages in the comic. Ditto. Of when she unleashes her laser fire yeah. on like a, a, a group of aliens. And she hits them in just a way that they're bleeding out with their, their green blood all over the place. But the dialogue coming from the dying yeah. aliens yeah. is just so good. It's hysterical. He's puking on the other one that's already had his head blown yeah. off. Oh my God! Bowels releasing. I'll never <laughs> see my children again. Yeah. <laughs> Bemis has the same kind of voice that like Gerard Way does. I don't know if it's the screamo musician in both of them, but there's something about it that they, there's definitely a lot of uh, parallel between the two. Yeah. 
All right. Yeah. Lucy dreaming number one. Um, so I didn't talk about this, uh, before we started recording, so I'll just throw it out there now. I think from now on, I've got, um, some comments about people wondering what books that we talk about on the show. So I think at the end of our lightning rounds, we're just going to repeat the books really quick that we spoke about just so people can hear them again. There's also, if you go to the show notes on the talking like not if you download it from iTunes or whatever, if you go to the talking show uh, link, um, there is a spreadsheet that I attach yeah. every, every week. Um, so you can get them there too, but I think it's good to list them all back too. All right. So Joey, why don't you just real quick, give us your books again. Lucy dreaming. Number one from boom studios. And <laughs> we spoke out a collection from IDW. All right. That was too sexy. You're not allowed to do this anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know what that spreadsheet's going to be great for, Joey? I'm telling you, post-Suzical Joey's a really good Joey. Well, because, like, I've been able to sleep. Like, yesterday I slept for, like, eight hours, which is, like, so much more than I've been able to sleep recently, which has been Eight hours on a weeknight? What? Yeah, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm jealous. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. All right, Bob, why don't you uh, regale us with tales from your lightning round? Okay. All right. I am going to put five minutes on the clock, even though you probably don't need it. Go. First up, Tales of Suspense number 103, which is part four or five of this story featuring Hawkeye and the Winter Soldier by Matthew Rosenberg, Travel Foreman, and Rachel Rosenberg. But, and this is for you, Joey, this issue is all about Natasha. Yes! I read it. Said, I read it. Enough said, as Stanley used to say, as I'm not going to spoil anything about this amazing issue, as I'm sure there are people going to wait for the whole thing and catch up. So there's Tales of Suspense 103. Ms. Marvel 28 by G. Willow Wilson, Nico Leon, Ian Herring, and Vic Caramagna will take you on an emotional roller coaster ride, one that concludes this legacy arc, which demonstrated how much Jersey City needs Ms. Marvel and vice versa. While Kamala Khan has gone walkabout, her friends, including the new hero Red Dagger, have tried to fill her boots, but with the nefarious inventor's giant cloned animal robot hybrid stomping all through the JC, they are wildly overmatched. That does change, though, as Captain Marvel answers the call and evens up the size. Without giving away too much, we finally see where Kamala has gotten to and what her reasoning behind leaving was about. And as always, G. Willow Wilson imbues Ms. Marvel with such humanity and good humor that those small things are the highlight moments despite all the superheroics. And in this issue, that includes the Megazordian Transformery gigantic robotic snake gator frog turtle combo. I'm sorry, what? Uh, that <laughs> you may have to repeat that as one, Bob. I'm promised sorry. last time. Here's a scoop on the Wonder Woman Forgotten Legends trade paperback. Woo! First off, the Trina Robbins, Kurt Music Legend of Wonder Woman mini is well-remembered in these offices. Better today after 30 years. It's a sequel to the story from 1947's Wonder Woman 21 I spoke about last week. As Queen Atomia is back to wreak havoc and try to take over the Earth. And to that end, has kidnapped a whole bunch of human beings, including perpetual damsel in distress, Steve Trevor. Can Wonder Woman, with the help of Etta Candy's little cousin, Susie, save the day? I'm going to think so, but, you know, you got to read to find out. 
Along the way, we revisit the sun country of twin rulers Salala and Leela from Sensation Comics number 79, learn about quantum mechanics, Greek mythology, and also witness the Kanga Cavalry. Now, not only uh, does Trina provide us a, a really lovely homage to the Marston Peter originals, but it provides a deeply moving coda to the adventures of the pre-crisis Wonder Woman, as this tale is being related and, and told by Hippolyta through the Amazon's magic fear in, in the aftermath of the crisis on infinite Earths, where Diana was reverted to her original clay form. As the Amazons mourn, Hippolyta uses this tale to inspire the, their courage, but as reality shifts, the Amazons are having trouble remembering Diana. Aphrodite appears to Hippolyta and telling her that soon this new reality will take hold and it will be as if Diana never existed. She offers her comfort. She can remove all the Amazons from this new reality. It's a quote, you will never have existed as humans, but you will never forget either. Apollo says yes to this. And Aphrodite, I shall find you a place in the heavens, my Amazons, and as constellations you will shine your light down on earth, hopefully to inspire others to lives as heroic as your own. Wonder Woman's done that now for more than 75 years, and Trina Robbins and Kurt Busiek certainly captured that in this little mini that bridged the gap between the crisis and George Perez's reboot. As, as was the case then, if Wonder Woman wasn't published for six months, the rights reverted to the Marstons, and they could have walked away with the book, gone across the street to Stanley, and went, hey, you guys want to publish Wonder Woman? Huh. So this filled that. It is amazing. Trina would only do it if she could do it so it looked and read like a 1940 story and yet still managed to be a modern tale at once. So go check this out. It's Wonder Woman Forgotten Legends just out from DC and it's only $16.99. Ooh. Yeah, I it. want that. I want that in physical form. Mm -hmm. Oh, it's gorgeous. The colors are amazing. You get a little bit of an essay that Trina wrote for the second issue. Good yeah. stuff. And Trina's just, she's such a lovely person as well. That's why I said hi to her because she will be listening to. Yeah, met her at the Eisner Awards. Nice with uh, with Carolyn and Mara and uh, and Matt. It was uh, quite the treat, I must say. She was uh, she's very fond of of all of us here, and and she's just a lovely, lovely person. Okay, let's see. I think I'm going to go next. I'm going to give myself five minutes. The show gets expensive. You hear about books that you haven't read and you're like, oh, I got to get that. Yeah. Kills your wallet. It's yeah. Killer. <laughs> so, so far I'm in, I'm in for, for two things right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for myself. All right. So I finally read black eyed kids written by Joe Pruitt. Art by Simon Krizan uh, Krizan oh God, here we go. Kudransky. <laughs> Colors by Guy Major. Letters by Marshall Dillon. According to Wikipedia, the Internet's only reliable source for information that's 100% accurate. An urban legend of supposed paranormal creatures that resemble children between the ages of 6 and 16 with pale skin and black eyes who are reportedly seen hitchhiking or panhandling or are encouraged on door, uh, 
encountered on doorsteps of residential homes. Tales of black-eyed children have existed since the late 1990s. In the Aftershock ongoing comic book series, Black Eyed Kids, Pruitt and Friends deliver a truly terrifying tale of what could happen if the BEK phenomenon proved true and the soulless boggers began building an army. That's right, the nasty underground population of possessed youngsters are through hiding and they're hungry for your soul. <laughs> I was immediately taken by the series. Uh, from the very first issue, the smart writing, stark artwork, and fast-paced action had me hooked. I burned through all three volumes in nearly one sitting and was excited to learn that there's more on the way. The book does a superb job of establishing atmosphere and framing the black-eyed kids as a real threat to life as we know it. And they're they're able to infiltrate almost any corner of the world since they're all spread out and they're all kids. So it's almost like a virus. Um, and all it takes to become a member of their army is to look them in the eyes. So if you encounter one and they just like pull their hoodie off and look at you and you're of the age, you're you're done. Uh, they're a little bit like vampires, but probably creepier, if that's even possible. Uh, I can't stress how well this book plots itself out. There's always a new surprise at the end of every issue, which lends to the uh, tale becoming worse and worse for all the right and exciting reasons. Uh, fans of Afterlife with Archie or the chilling adventures of Sabrina or urban legends in general will absolutely love this. And I've found this uh, to easily be one of the best horror, uh, horror books on the market right now because you know i read so many of those <laughs> um so that's black-eyed kids i'm gonna grab my other book because i want to read from it i read a truly truly wonderful book called the prince and the dressmaker okay words and art by jen wang published by first second prince sebastian is looking for a bride or rather his parents are looking for one for him Sebastian is too busy hiding his secret life from everyone. At night, he puts on daring dresses and takes Paris by storm as the fabulous Lady Cristalia, the hottest fashion icon in, uh, in the world capital of fashion. Sebastian's secret weapon is his brilliant dressmaker, Francis, his best friend and one of the two people who know the truth. Sometimes this boy wears dresses, but Francis dreams of greatness and being someone's secret weapon means being a secret yourself. <laughs> forever <laughs> how long can francis defer uh her dreams to protect her friend so that's the plot synopsis and oh. i also have thoughts i wanted to read it from the book because it's it's a kind of a hard thing to encapsulate okay i have positively fallen head over heels for this book i read it last night and i've been thinking about it all day jen wang has created a true modern day fairy tale with her latest graphic novel, and I would not be surprised if we hear that she's been nominated for an, uh, an Eisner later this year. The Prince of the Dressmaker is a story about being true to oneself and finding love in the most unlikely of places. It's also a story about loyalty and how the line between keeping someone secret and living your dream becomes blurred. The support cast of characters are all alive and wonderful, with Prince Sebastian's father being my absolute favorite of the bunch. I also loved how the story subverted my expectations, leaving much of what I thought would happen to Francis and Sebastian twisting in the wind and gave me a third act that I did not see coming. Uh, don't let Wang's Avatar The Last and Airbender art uh, fool you, or Airbender-like art fool you. The book also packs a dark punch about identity, and I found myself questioning many norms within our society. It was a pretty deep rabbit hole uh, after reading this book. As a grown-ass man who doesn't uh, shy away, nay, enjoys cosplaying in women's clothing from time to time, 
I support uh, Sebastian. I support Sebastian, and I freaking love this book. The end. Nice. <laughs> That's okay. my lightning round. A lot of bold Crazy claims lightning. in that one. A lot of bold claims. Hey, my husband makes a freaking hot atomic blonde. I'm he not really gonna lie. I don't know. It was yeah, good. Yeah, it was yeah. good. I was talking good. about Eisner Award winning. That Steve dressing up, <laughs> Steve cosplaying. That's not bold at all. I had expected. <laughs> I've seen Wednesday Adams, right? Did you do Wednesday Adams? Oh yeah, you did. That was good too. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it was okay. <laughs> we had a lot of fun shopping for shoes. We had actually some really excellent help from an elderly couple, who actually tried to get us to buy pink shoes because they weren't sure about the whole Wednesday Adam things, but we're very sure that magenta goes with everything. Oh, they'd be right. They're not wrong. And for the record, when I did Atomic Blonde, I did wear a bra. That's, he did. Yeah, that's he My best friend, it was amazing. And to clarify, I said I wouldn't be surprised if we hear that she's nominated for an Eisner. I didn't say it would win. Although it might win Talking Comics Awards. We'll hey, see. yeah. Oh, oh. I gotta um, read it. I super loved it. I really, th- I honestly think if we passed it around the room, you would all come back from it just falling in love with it. The artwork is absolutely spectacular. It deserves to be a film. Like, I would love, 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 love to see some studio, any studio, pick this up and make it and and really make a statement with this book. Because, like, when I talk about subverting my expectations you know there's a there's a way the story could have gone or something that could have been a part of somebody's character and it wasn't and it was really cool that there was an aspect of the story that just was i'm trying to be very vague because i don't want to spoil anything for anybody but i liked that it was straightforward and simple and there was still this tremendous love story within the pages. And I just, I mean, I read it next to Bronwyn last night. I was commenting all throughout reading it and lost my mind <laughs> on page like 259. Don't skip to it. Wait for it. But when it happens, oh, it's so good. It's true. He did. He actually hid the book from me so I wouldn't be accidentally spoiled. It was epic. It was epic. It was, it was so, 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 so good. All right. So. Uh, from Aftershock Comics, Black-Eyed Kids. There's three volumes with uh, another uh, round on the way. That was the uh, the first volume, or the first three. So, um, or chapter, whatever they're going to call it. And uh, The Prince and the Dressmaker by Jen Wang from First Second is the uh, publisher. It is not available digitally, to my knowledge. You have to seek it out in physical form. Um, I had to order it from, like, far away to get it but i was i was determined to read it because uh she was actually the co-creator and artist on uh in real life which was a oh. a really big book uh that yeah. stephanie had brought onto the show a couple years ago so yes yeah I see the money leaving my bank account already oh it's, <laughs> yeah. it's it's superb it's it's absolutely just wonderful i like it, it left me like my heart was light when i was done reading it Lovely. you know like i felt really good when it was over and I just I'm telling you the last couple pages are so fist pumpingly good I was just like oh thank you for not doing the thing I thought you were gonna do and you did this instead this is so good so anyway the prince of the dressmaker Jen Wang go pick it up it's amazing Bronwyn Okay. So you've been waiting to to deliver this lightning round for a while now. I have. I've had notes on this for a while. Oh, 
I've been wanting to talk about this. I've been wanting to talk about this for a bit. All right, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock for you, my dear. Okay. And go. All right, so we are going to take a turn for the psychedelic because I want to talk about Doom Patrol. <laughs> yeah. All right, so I read Doom Patrol Volume 1, Brick by Brick. Um, this is story by Gerard Way, art by Nick Darrington with Tom Fowler, color by Tamara. Uh, I'm not sure if you pronounce this in the French way, but Bonville. Bonville! Um, <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Um, as far as team building intro books go, this one is bananas. Bananas on crack or or maybe acid. Uh, I'm <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm still not sure I know where all the moving pieces are, but I know I haven't had this much fun diving into a new world in a long time. Psychedelic, colorful, almost seven-door farcical, this story is the best multi-dimensional, time-traveling, team-building, superhero space adventure you'll ever have in an ambulance. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I worked on that one, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> uh, with a tagline like, the world's strangest superheroes reborn, how far wrong can you go? Um, I don't want to spoil any of the story and to be perfectly frank I'm not even sure I would know how <laughs> so what I'm going to do is I'm going to introduce you to some of the characters uh, we have Casey Brink EMT and ambulance driver extraordinaire but is there more to this oddity attracting ray of sunshine here's hoping we find out more about her and her new roomie in the new volume too Sam Reynolds, EMT Casey's partner willing to go where the universe points with alarmingly few questions asked we have Robot Man, a.k.a. Clifford Steele, human, maybe, brain in a robot body. Easygoing badass, but don't get on his bad side or ask him to look after your cat. <laughs> a negative man, a.k.a. Larry Trainer, pilot with Icarus tendencies, fly too close to the negative zone and found himself less alone in his body than he might have liked. Crazy Jane, universe-traveling freewheeler with a brick for a friend, ran into a big bad murdering type. Turns out exposure to godblood trauma is hard on the brain pan. But what's a little cult between friends? Flex Metallo, oh Flex, Mr. Shirtless Exposition in Extreme Sports, the friendliest of dooms, and welcome to Danny Committee. Ricardo, the string that ties the book of Danny together, from brick to cabana to ambulance. He is somehow instrumental to getting the gang back together. And finally, Danny, the voice on the radio, the man behind the curtain, the brick, the ambulance, the meat-making machine. <laughs> Everything is nothing with and without Danny. And there you have Doom Patrol. Very good. <laughs> Very Amazing. nice. Very nice. <laughs> so I loved Doom Patrol. I threw myself willingly into Doom Patrol at Steve's recommendation and then ignored him wholeheartedly until I was finished every ounce of it. Um, it's ridiculous and amazing. And I think I was three issues in until I had any idea of anything that was happening around me. And I love that. I'm not going to lie. I think that's fantastic. I don't think I, there was a single thread that had connected to anything until I was at least three issues in. So uh, stick with it, but definitely read it. It's mind-blowing in the best possible way. Amen. <laughs> um, on a slightly, and I mean slightly, um, less mind-bending kind of tangent, 
my next thing that I wanted to talk about was Motor Crush Volume 1. And it's, it is a very different feel, but also goes in very unexpected directions, which I really enjoyed. Uh, created by Brendan Fletcher, Cameron Stewart, and Babs Tarr. Um, I have to first off talk about how much I love the color presentation of this. There are red tones throughout most of the book that change in saturation with the crush, and I love that. Um, secondly, I adore the presentation of the media segments, especially the PSAs scrolling across the bottom about bikes addicted to crush and what symptoms to look out for. Like you see PSAs about everything, like public service announcements about, uh, you know, kids and, and what they could be into and things like that. But this is specifically about your motorbike <laughs> and <laughs> what it could be addicted to and how to look out for those symptoms. That's kind of amazing. Um, and honestly, and yes, I am doing this on purpose. The story took me for a bit of a ride. Oh. I definitely thought it was going in one direction before it took a left at Albuquerque and went in a completely different one. Um, at the end of the volume, I very much turned to Steve and said, well, I'm in. <laughs> um, I need to know how this happens, what happens next and where the crush is taking me. In terms of the characters here, we have Domino Swift racer both track and street she owns the most she owns the road basically when she's on a bike but is she really racing for crush is her bike an addict or is there something more at play we have sullivan swift um, dom's father pit coach and cheering section but he's keeping secrets and they're looking to come out of the shadows we have lola del carmen tech genius and pit crew queen she keeps dom's motors running on and off the track we have Calex Gothard, street racer and competitor for Crush. He has Dom's back, except in honest competition, where he's out to get it like everyone else. But the biggest question of all is what the hell is Crush and what does it even do? What does it all mean? How did time travel come into play at all? What? Yeah. Okay. So let's turn it Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I had big questions at the end of this one. I'm not going to lie. And I think that might be it for my time. You were you were done. Uh, yeah. You were done a while ago. <laughs> but it's okay because we get to make the rules. And you tried to come onto the show at least twice to do <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah. You get a few extra minutes. I appreciate you, honey. And we're just going to say that you've stolen Jessica's lightning round. Yes. This week. I'm going to apologize. I do not have a lightning round this week, but I was out of town at a lovely wedding. <laughs> so about that. I, I went to a lovely, lovely wedding for my cousin, Mary. It was great. It was in New Jersey. And I stopped at, uh, you know, every comic book store in a 10 mile radius. So <laughs> that was fun. Uh, shout out to Gotham comics, zap comics and East side mags. They were really lovely stores. We got to talk to, you know, a lot of people there and had a great time. I bought some Johnny, the homicidal maniacs and, uh, yeah, it was a good weekend. So, uh, yeah, that's why I don't have a, <laughs> a lightning round for you guys. Sorry. <laughs> I apologize. We want to hear about Johnny the Homicidal Maniac next time. Oh, you've never. Oh, no. It's it's the the goth. It's every goth oh. kid's best friend. It's it's. Uh, I mean, it came out in God. I want to say ninety. I have to look it up. Ninety something. So it's been out for a long time. But yeah, yeah. I've read some Lenore, but never read Johnny. I never read Johnny, huh? Yeah. I I would like to state for the record that whenever we're telling our talking comics origin stories, I always mention Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Yeah, I mean that and Lenore were my jam back be back before Steve was Steve, 
and was still hopelessly lost reading some Xenoscope books. Yeah, I, uh, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac kept that was through, the right? old me, but the, <laughs> yeah. the new me, the new me, still loves Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Lenore and Squee and, and all of that. Squee, stuff. I feel sick. Yeah, um, you know, Vasquez's work, I, I, his art was great. Killer Bunny. Uh, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, and he I mean, I even did a like a concentration on him when I was a kid and going through school in art class. I was like that you had to pick an artist. I was like, I know who I'm picking. And my art teacher was like, all right. <laughs> OK, you little strange child in the corner. You go for it. <laughs> you know, yeah. but uh, yeah, you know, I, I love those books. I, I picked up. They had a whole set of them. I picked them up and I'm I was a happy I was a happy, I call myself a casual goth kid now because I don't have the time to do the makeup <laughs> and the hair. I'm oh my casual. God, I hurt you so hard. I yeah. don't have the time to do the makeup. <laughs> I don't have the time to be goth I anymore. I don't have That's the time to be goth. I'm just, I, I, I just so wear much black of what you say, Jessica, but that I think might be the favorite thing that you've ever said. I, I would be goth if I had time to do the makeup. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I mean, I wear That's black That's a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. Oh my God, that is a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> so, can we make know. that t-shirt for ladies of Valhalla like I'm calling and, that right yes. now yes. like yeah. a mop of Robert Smith hair and that on the bottom <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh merchandising we've got it set up already um, Johnny the Homicidal Maniac was actually the thing that attracted me to it was that his art style kind of reminded me of my own a little bit with like the big eyes and, oh. and like kind of the vacant yeah. stares and stuff like that but he took it to a whole other level with how expressive and how chock full of dialogue those comics were. Like there was a constant internal dialogue throughout those stories. And between that and Lenore, like the, the, the comedy going on, it was so violent, but it was so funny. Super violent. Oh God. Yeah. Like so super violent, but it was, it was really, it was really good dark humor. And, um, yeah, you know, like I said, it kept it kept uh, high school Jess going. So <laughs> kept, kept I actually still Jess. have. Uh, you mentioned something about first printings when we were off air. I actually have the first printing of uh, the trades for Johnny the Homicidal Maniac, like in all of my high school stuff, like in a box. You know, I thought I still had all of my comics, and they must have gotten like tossed. I mean, they were like beat up and passed around and well used and like me and my friends would like trade them and like everyone read them and they went around the whole thing and like I said I used them for an art project and you know <laughs> they were so beat up and I thought I had them and they must have gotten tossed somewhere down the line and I was so upset so I've just bought anytime I see them I don't care what it is I just buy them <laughs> I probably have I have like every printing except for a first printing of course <laughs> I do not have a first printing of it I have like every printing I have the director's cut of the trade like I just buy it every time I see it now because you know why not <laughs> why, why not why not but yeah oh. so good yeah so yeah, good my heart. My heart. See, you had a lightning round yeah i did i had a mini lightning round we talked about johnny the homicidal maniac <laughs> love it all right let's uh let's do let, let's let's do some open discussion i think that we should talk about batman first batman batman, batman. I'm Batman. Jessica. <laughs> I was just going to say, you haven't said that yet, but. Jessica. Um, all right. I had to do it. I hadn't done it the whole show. I know. You had to do it at all. I was surprised. Losing my touch. All right. Um, Bob, would you be so kind as to take us through this one? Surely. It is Batman 43, Tom King, Mikhail Janin, 
Hugo Petrus on the art, Jun Chung on Glorious Colors. This is the finale, part three, of Everyone Loves Ivy. Poison Ivy is trying to remake the world in the name of love, and she's managed to take control of the minds of everyone on Earth except Bruce and Selena. Now, our soon-to-be newlyweds have achieved a, a minor victory uh, and gained some valuable intel, but at a heck of a cost, Batman is badly beaten and is now laid up in hospital. But that has put him closer to the one person who can put his plan over the top, Harley Quinn. Now, while Selena distracts Ivy, Bruce liberates Harley, and away we go. Some amazing reveals here about a past story arc from a different writer, plus some great in-depth character work by, by Mr. King. And really, the, the art here, uh, really on Batman just for the last year, so the art's been amazing, but served up here with absolutely glorious artwork by everyone involved. Considering how creepy this first two issues of this were, it's kind of a sunny ending. I would... And it, it all, <laughs> right, and it, and it all played pretty well, considering what did everybody else think. I I mean, I, I'll I'll go I'll go first. I'm actually thumbing through it right now. Brahman hasn't seen it yet. I'm showing it to her for the first time. You mentioned the art. The art throughout this this three issue run has just been superb. I mean, lots of the artwork throughout King's Batman run has been really amazing. This though, this shines like especially like the green on red. And all the the really great like facial expressions, particularly uh, Harley Quinn, Harley, yes, throughout throughout this issue is just so amazing with how expressive she is. And not to spoil anything, I absolutely loved the solution to the threat. Like the way that this is all wrapped up is absolutely beautiful and very touching. And like you said, like it ends on a really positive note that kind of leaves you like with like an aww yeah. instead of you know sending you off to the races with the next big thing it leaves you like feeling pretty good well with the exception of of that poison ivy is kind of broken by the end but she has <laughs> her support group now so it's okay right. yeah she has support she's she'll be okay you know <laughs> and the uh the batman and catwoman stuff just continues to go amazing uh, amazingly well i love all of these like quiet moments that we have with them when they're like in the middle of the night trying to lay down and get to sleep and everything. And they have these, these little conversations about their adventures or about what they're worried about for the future. And, you know, we're leading up to the weddings coming up and stuff like that. And we know there's going to be a couple of special guests popping by. And I, yeah, like I just, I've been so energized by uh, King's run for the past, like ever since 14. Like ever since that issue, it's just, it's just been better and better and better and better as it goes along, and uh, I just I love it. Um, Joey, what did you think? I mean, speaking as someone who I've I've said this a lot on the show, but speaking as someone who just pops in for the Tom King Batman whenever like you guys talk it up, and I'm like, okay, I'll read it. Right? I really love these like two issue, three issue arcs. They read, they're self-contained in a way, and the Bat-Cat relationship is kind of the anchor that, that ties it all together. There's a lot of, especially in this issue and the, the one immediately prior to this one, 42, there's a lot of talk about all the war of um, riddle, jokes and riddles. Is that what it is? Mm -hmm. Didn't read that. Didn't yep. read that arc at all. Yep. But 
I knew what was going on. It was just enough. There was just enough background there to really understand why Poison Ivy was acting the way that she was. Uh, she is in the book. And uh, it's still Lance speaking as someone who is just popping in to read a couple of issues of Batman here and there. I really, really enjoy every time I do. Um, and like you said, the, the Batcat stuff at the core is just so endearing and so charming. And um, yeah, wedding's coming up, man. It's coming. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm in. I ship it. I'm wondering who's they keep teasing that like the villains are going to show up and I don't I think that we might be looking at a vil, somebody showing up that we haven't seen in a really long time and I don't know who that's going to be I know who I'm it really is excited. I know who do it you? is Who do you think it is Solomon Grundy born on a Monday let's go <laughs> Let's go <laughs> Joey, I love you. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, it's gotta be. It's gotta be all the time. <laughs> Jess, did you get a chance to read Batman? I did read Batman. And this is one of the few books I got to read this week. And I just listen. I, I say it every time. I'm 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 on the Batman bandwagon. Okay, I'm on there. I've been there. I'm staying there. Okay, I'm not leaving. Uh, as Joey would say, I ship them so hard, so hard, <laughs> so hard. I love the Batcat stuff. But I think Tom King's just really good at writing like realistic relationships, like those, those moments that like really happen between couples, you know, and I read an interview with him and he discusses that because he has such a wonderful relationship with his wife, he's able to translate that into his stories. And I, I think that's beautiful as well. Um, you know, so I think like those moments happen, like when you're sitting in bed, like those are the real moments. That's when, you know, um, I've been married for a while. I've been with Danny for, you know, we're going to be married for 10 years and you know, those, they happen. Yeah. You know, they, they really happen. Happen. thanks thanks yeah you know i mean it's like 17 years total something like that and i think that's what i fall in love with every time i read batman is, is those little moments it's you know the story otherwise is great and everything that's going on but it's the little things that really suck me in and keep me attached to it so i I enjoyed it. Like you said, the art was just absolutely fantastic. It's beautiful. The green, the red, her hair. It's, I think I'm like in love. I want like her fake hair in real life. Like, you know, like I want that hair. (laughs) I I want my hair wig. It's beautiful. Like like red and flowing and everywhere and magical. And, you know, yeah, no, I, I, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. I'm on the Batman train. I'm staying. You should get one and rock it at your next wedding. Right. (laughs) At my next wedding. (laughs) All right. I think, uh, I think it's that time in the podcast where I walk over to the lights and I grab the dimmer and I pull it down just a little, little bit as we bow our heads in silence to talk about Thor, the mighty Thor, number 705. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Okay. Yes, it is Thor 705. Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman, Matthew Wilson, Joe Sabino on letters. Now, considering this arc is entitled The Death of the Mighty Thor, you'd think that spoilers would be a moot point, but I'll still do my best not to get in the way of your own emotional reaction to this absolutely stunning issue that will no doubt be on my best of list at at year's end. To summarize, Malekith and his allies' war against the realms has unleashed the Mangog, the seemingly indestructible physical manifestation of the countless souls lost through the arrogance of Odin and the Asgardians. The Mangog is on the verge of destroying 
Asgardia by casting it into the sun, and so far no one, not even the All-Father himself, has been able to stay his hand. On Earth, Jane Foster has been warned that if she transforms into Thor just one more time, the change back will cause her death from the cancer ravaging her body. What will she do? Well, as it says on the recap page, from her hospital room, Jane Foster has heard the call, Thor is needed again. An amazing three-year run by Jason Aaron, Russell Dowderman, uh, with Jane as Thor. And as we near its end, the brilliance of this concept, with the attention to the small human moments, more important even than the amazing cosmic-level action, this created a saga that will ring out in the halls of Valhalla as long as stories of the most worthy heroes are told. Who wants to go? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Brahman, do you want to go? Okay. Um... Why don't you give, give everybody a little history as to how much time you've actually had with this book? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I, I've jumped onto this book very recently. Um you know, like full disclosure, I've only read four or five issues of, of of the Mighty Thor, and within the first three or four, I mean, even cells of the first page, I was already laughing out loud, and I had said to Steve that I was in, and I was going to read this one from the beginning because it was funny and heartwarming and and touching, and I already knew how it was going to end because you know when something's good at that stage how it's going to end. Mm. Um, and I mean, I had some forewarning, right? Uh, I you know, it's not it's not like I didn't know anything about the story. I just hadn't I hadn't been reading it. Um, but for someone who who started this run at 701 and read to 705, I was in tears at the end of this book. <laughs> like so that should give you an idea of the emotional punch that's that's still capable of, of being packed in this. Um, the color work is outstanding. The details in the art in here is spectacular. Like I just I don't know how they managed to get books like this out in time you know the the writing is lovely the the characters come across already as fully formed and emotionally impactful even though as i said I, my my connection with them is short-lived but the art is really the stunning part here because it's so detailed like it reminds me almost of nicholas scott even though it's so very different in style yes i know what you're saying exactly but just the detail level, you know, like the attention to detail here is so astounding. Um, and I just, I love the color. The color is so spectacular and very impactful. You know, you go from these like warm, passionate reds and purples and you know, like it's the heat of a battle and things like that into these really cool blues and purples where they're having, a trying to sort of cool you down and, and into having sort of a deep and thoughtful moment, you know, and, and it's very evocative. The differences in those, in the way the color use, is used to tell the story and the way the art is used to tell the story and just, oh my God, there's like a page. What page is this? Um, 20, page 20. 
I'm not even going to tell you what's on it, but just when you get to page 20 of issue 705, honest to God, that's where I started crying. It's page 20 of 24. And I was just like, oh, and I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) And it just, at the top, you get all of this beautiful image and then it starts to slow, like it starts to get smaller and smaller and smaller. And I'm just, it's very evocative. And it, is heart-wrenching and it just it's like it can sum the entire story up into one page and that's it's heartbreaking okay (laughs) as we go around the room sorry no it was beautiful that was beautiful no i I agree that that one i know what page you're talking about and i don't want to spoil it either but it does that one page changes things it's very impactful it's very uh, you know, it, it takes you there. It does. It makes you feel a lot of things. <laughs> it makes you feel a lot of things. Um, good and bad, you know, good and bad things. But uh, I know exactly when you said it, I was like, yep. I know exactly <laughs> what page she's talking about right on the money. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Joey, did you have a chance to read it? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Once, <laughs> I think Bob in the in our email discussion was like, Am I the only one reading Thor 705? Please don't let me be the only one. And I was like, okay, Bob, sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll read it. <laughs> so I, I went back and also read 700 through 705 again. Um, uh, I haven't been reading since the tippy top of the Aaron uh, run with, with, with Jane as Thor. Um, I, I read the first volume of it, though, uh, the before the Marvel Now, again, Renumber, <laughs> relaunching it of it I, I i didn't pick up again when they renumbered it but i read the origin of of her run and now here i am here at the the tail end of it i guess um it's powerful stuff you know and and uh the thing that i love about it two things that that surprised me one and i read 700 uh when it first dropped the the mangog character is absurd it's an absurd creation of, of comic book storytelling. Like it, it looks ridiculous with his yellow and red. It, it, it looks like the, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. And yet, I was terrified of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, 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 and I think that speaks to what Aaron is able to do with Thor. Like, and what I've always loved about Thor. And um, what I've always loved about the Thor movies. And I loved about the Thor book as well is that it's it's at its best when it recognizes and uses the mythology in all of its absurd almost farcical splendor but takes it so seriously um and 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 treats it uh with the kind of respect and care that it deserves too right like we could have this absurd you know yellow and red like goofy faced winged dragon monster thing coming through being like, I eat gods. I man, God must find gods, you know, or whatever. Uh, man, God hates love. Love hates man, God. And then Cole Odin's brother from fear itself or whatever is like, I will, I will find what man, God fears. Man, God fears nothing. I'm like, what is, what am I reading? <laughs> and yet, and yet I am insanely engrossed because underneath all of that. And in addition to all of that, Aaron is able to tell a story about true heroism um, and and on a mythical, mythical level with a character who is dealing with the most intimate 
and intense of of traumas uh, with with Jane um, and the choices that she faces, right? Like, and it's the same thing that the Thor movies do as well. It it's they're funny and they're and they're lively and they have an energy that comes from this absurd mythology, and yet it uses that mythology to tell some of the most you know gut wrenching, heart wrenching stories ever about people choosing to be heroes. Um, and I just feel like what Jane does in this last issue, 705, well, at the end of 704 into 705, you know, I think is, is the, is just the, the epitome of what Aaron is able to do here. The 705 is epic, you know, just in terms of its scope and action. Um, I was on the edge of my fingers reading this book, you know, like it's, it's, it's crazy how much action can be crammed into it. And what, what Dowderman can do with it too. Um, and the other thing that I like really picked up on reading 700 through 705, I love the layouts. I just love, mm. I love how he uses that weird circle paneling. Um, which you don't see in a lot of books and, and it, it just adds again, another layer to this, like, this is mythology. This is, this is the Thor as guardian kind of book. Um, but he fills it with, you know, Jane in the hospital. Um, and I just feel like it's, it's telling a story that people should read. It's really great. And I, I read 705 thinking that it was the end and I didn't know we were getting another one after this. 706 um which yeah i gotta read and, and i'm sure we'll talk about that one too but yeah this was awesome it, it really was and um yeah insanely moving as well right on yeah i uh man i almost don't know what to say i've been reading uh aaron's thor since the very first issue of thor god of thunder when when that started and i love that at the beginning of this issue, we go back to a moment that we didn't, I, I didn't even realize that we never even got to see this. No. Oh. And it takes us all the way back to the moon and where everything started. And I just, I thought that was a really masterful way of beginning the story. And that full page spread of Jane picking up the hammer and the smile on oh, her yeah. face and in all of her sickness and in all of her fighting to stay alive and want wanting her her final moments on earth to mean something and and to to rise to the occasion of being worthy of picking up the hammer and um like even going so far as to remembering all of the um like all the speculation when this was coming out yeah you know who's yeah. gonna who's worthy who's gonna pick up the hammer and for all the possibilities you're like is it gonna be sif is it going to be, you Ross know, is Beta Ray Bill coming yeah. back in a big way? Like, what's going on? Is it going to be <laughs> in a really the frog big Thor? <laughs> you know, and um, it ended up being Jane. And Jane, from the very beginning of this thing, was dying. And and from the very beginning, Aaron told you how it was going to end. You know, there, there's no there with with her not accepting magic, with, with her not wanting you know the avengers and whatnot to go to the ends of the galaxy to find a cure for her this is how she's chosen to go out and i think it's it's beautiful she's demonstrated time and again how worthy she's been of the hammer it makes all of the barking from negative people online uh just absolutely ludicrous and absurd 
and shame on you for for shit canning such a a gorgeous opportunity for such a beautiful story to be told. And uh, yeah, I mean, I loved it. the 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 final battle was epic. I had to read it twice just to let it sink in, like just to see how many times did she try to actually put the Mangog down. And what is he capable of coming back from? And it's just so, you know, obviously she takes this thing out, but how she does it is so friggin' cool. It's so cool. And it's a nice, it's a nice little throwback. And it, it's, it's just gorgeous. And, and I'm, I'm glad that there's another issue because I definitely need like a, like an epilogue slash, uh, eulogy, eulogy, yeah, a requiem, issue. yeah, a requiem, exactly. You know, I need that. I need that closure from from this run. And I mean, I can't wait to go back when I whenever I have the free time to go back to the very beginning where it all started with gore and 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 the the serial killer of gods. Oh boy, gore, yeah, man gag. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but like that's where it began and all of this grew out of that all the the transformation of Volstag and everything the, the, and, the and yeah the war thor and all of that stuff that was going on and oh god there's just there's so much so there's so much here you yeah. we've never seen her picking up the hammer for the first time until this moment in this book I don't, I don't think so I don't remember ever seeing it that's so I remember awesome. being told about it but we never actually got to see it it's such a it's such a quiet decision she's just talking with is it heimdall at the beginning of the book she's just and and she and he's just like you got it's you you know you're you're you have and she's just like yeah i gotta do it and she just she just goes and picks it up yeah i love that that line there has to be a thor yeah i i just like i think that at, at, at its core, this is what these books can do. You know, it's a person and just they make the choice. They make the choice yeah. to be the hero. And and yeah. uh, you tell the they epic story. The and they ex- yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's like, because I read 700 through 705 again. There's the moment, I think in 703 maybe, where uh, she's first kind of presented with the option. You know, like you got to go take out the Mangog, you know, and, and everyone's like, everyone's like, you can't, you can't do it. If you change one more time, you're going to die. And she, she, she chooses to go sit in the bed, right? Like she's, she'll be like, okay, fine. I, I will, I will try and fight this cancer instead. And I won't go fight the Mangog. Um, uh, <laughs> and she tells him, make sure our side doesn't lose as she sends all the yeah. heroes off. Yeah. And, and she then, has faith in them and she lets them try. She lets him try, but ultimately she knows it's got to be her, you know? And I love the moment. I think it's in this book. I know it's in 704 where she yeah. says, like, just for the record, cancer cells, I would have kicked your ass. You I, would, I would have beaten you, I you little cancerous that. sons yeah. of bitches. Yeah. I, I love that moment. And again, oh. it's, 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 the, it's, the, it's the individual or everyone, you know? And, and that's, what the, that's what the heroism is, the kind of sacrifice of the self to... to Save everybody, you know, from the Mangog. Um, but it's it's <laughs> just, it's just uh, it's just really powerful. And again, I haven't read the fifty issues. I read five, 
And I was just as dazzled and, and, you know, teary-eyed reading the end of 705 as everybody else. And I think that really speaks to what Aaron's able to do, what Datterman's able to do, and what the character means. I, I also really like the fact that they established um, that she has an adversarial relationship with Odin within those last few. Like, so you could come in and not, you know, it, it, it wasn't like she was doing this you know, just because she cared about the people that the Bangog was specifically attacking. You know, the, it really established her heroism in that she was very much doing this for, you know, the the kind of undecided and unspecified all. Mm-hmm. Because the individuals that were at play here were not specifically people that she cared a lot about (laughs) you know they were people that she had actually had quite an adversarial relationship with and that would have been defined you know and people that she was perhaps even angry with people that she maybe didn't agree with and people that she didn't necessarily want to see win but just because she didn't want to see them win didn't mean she wanted to see them die either yeah, well, it was, it's Mangog's line. I, Joey, you do the voice much better than I do. Why would you die for the gods? Why would you die for the gods, Mangog? Nice. <laughs> I, I die. I die for love. Oh, yeah, Mangog. I know. Flashbacks to her, her mom, and oh, oh, yeah. Rip your heart out. It's just a great, just a great six issues, just back to back yeah. to back to back. It's just perfect. Yeah, it's a hell of an arc. All right, the mighty Thor. We'll uh, we'll see you at the end of the year. <laughs> I'm thinking so. One more, one more issue, and then we'll pour one oh, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got uh, you have a you have a, a supporter, Bob. I, I specifically for seven oh five is as best single issue. I uh, I have already bolted it in my list. Nice. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everybody, for joining in on this. Indeed. Pleasure's ours, Bob. We're uh, we're gonna keep the lights low as we move into the second part of our open discussion. As several members of this podcast have now seen "I Kill Giants," the film directed directed by Anders Walter, screenplay written by Joe Kelly himself. Uh, I would love to ask Bob what he thought of the movie well i thought it had a nice score it was not no, serious <laughs> it did seriously yeah um here's the thing it is such a beloved property in these quarters by all of us and i want to thank steve and stephanie and bobby for making sure i read this all those years ago it's one of the absolute favorite things i have ever read and you recommended steve not to read it again before I, I saw the film, and not that I didn't know all that was going to happen, I bawled for the last 40 minutes, and some of my notes are ruined by my own tears. <laughs> um, it is such a wonderful adaptation that 
everything you'd want from the book to be in the film is there and more seeing it played out seeing the performances which are across the board by Madison Wolf uh Imogen Poots Zoe Saldana uh, Sydney Ware it is heartfelt in in such a special way that before we get to the the the, the big stuff you're touched by Barbara Thorson, who you're thinking, I know she's one of your all-time favorite female characters, I think right at the top, right, Steve? Yeah, she is my favorite. And she's different. But we're not sure why exactly. She is troubled, perhaps, too smart for her peers, just a little outside the norm. And as, as you start to play this out as the movie goes, if you haven't read the book yet, what parts of, well, what do you do, Barbara? I find giants, I hunt giants, I kill giants. She's protecting this little town. But maybe she is. It's played very even-handedly. You're drawn into her world that she's an outsider, that she's created her own outside. But why? Oh, it is a spectacular film. I watched it for the first time. I did an on-demand movie, I got to tell you, because this was so important for me to do this. And I watched it twice and a half while I, before they shut it off on me. And the second time, I had the exact same reaction. This is a stupendous film that I hope gets a wider release that more people get to see it. I have the funny feeling that down the road, as with something like The Iron Giant, where not enough people saw it the first time and it is now a classic, I Kill Giants is going to be this movie that's talked about for a very, very long time that will be introduced across generations. This was a really, really magnificent film at every level possible, hits all the right notes for... I'm trying to be as spoiler-free as possible but hmm. for the positive, for the negative, for the fantastic, but for the real and the human is where this movie lives. It lives in your heart and doesn't let go. Mm. Oof. That's a pull quote right there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> oh, Bronwyn, what did you think of the movie? Oh, uh, well, yeah, I, <laughs> I, I loved it. It was, I, I like Bob, I read this book and it, it punched me in the gut when I read it and I cried. I, I cried reading this book and like I, I get involved emotionally when I read books. Absolutely. And I, I'm a, I'm a reader. I'm an avid reader of all sorts of different media, but um, I, I'm a willing suspender of my disbelief, especially when reading. So I, I'm definitely involved when I'm reading, but to actually move me to tears, to physical dropping off my face onto my chest, tears is a fairly rare occasion. And I Kill Giants managed in, in when I was reading it. And then to hear that it was being made into a movie, I was I was I was pretty excited about it, especially when I found out that Joe Kelly was was the screenwriter because I, I knew that uh, this was his property and that of anyone who could do it justice, obviously the person who created it originally was the one who could. Um, so I wanted to see what he could do to bring it to screen. Um, and 
I don't think I have ever seen a movie created from a written work that was a better adaptation. I don't think I've ever seen anything imagined into visual, like a visual representation of the written word where I have felt that it better represented what I wanted to see on screen. I, I got to the end of this movie and I thought that was exactly what I wanted to see when I imagined this book when I was reading it. And for me, reading is a very visual experience. You know, I, when I'm sucked into a story, I immediately stop seeing words and I start seeing pictures. I'm not even aware of the words on the page. I immediately see this series of images in my head. And to see them on screen was a very powerful experience because this movie captured what I imagined when I read this story and so it was just as powerful to watch on screen as it was to read and that is not something I say lightly um so yeah I sobbed my way through the movie like ugly cry (laughs) oh it was not pretty I I went through Kleenex box after Kleenex box like this was not and it was cathartic and beautiful and I loved it. And this was not a, a bad cry. It was just a, it was almost like a relief cry. Because, therapeutic. Yeah, it was. It was therapeutic because not only was I so involved in the story and in the telling of that story and in the representation of that story, I was also relieved to see something that I was so invested in emotionally so well done in this other medium. Um, so yeah, I got to the end of the movie and I literally said out loud to Steve, well, thanks, Joe Kelly. You made me cry <laughs> on my tits again. <laughs> wow. Put that on the back of your DVD. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a very, very rewarding and very moving experience to see this film. I was, I was very invested and it a hundred percent paid out. Okay, I'm gonna pass the stick to Joey. Yeah, no, I I also loved it. It is not hard for me to cry at a movie, uh, Bronwyn. So this one had me, you know, a lot, uh, particularly at the end. I just I just find the ending so powerful. And for those that read the book, you know the the you know where it goes, uh, and you know what the you know what the deal is. Um, and once we get into that material and and really handle it really um, expertly, I find. Uh, in the back half of the movie, I the tears just came. Uh, it's really good. Um, I love. Is it Madison Wolf plays um, Barbara? Yeah, fantastic. She's so 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 good. This first time I saw her with the little the ears on, on her head, <laughs> I was like, holy oh, damn! This is like the book. Like I just it just it reached all the way back into. I probably read I Kill Giants eight years ago, you know, like it's been so long since I've read it. I've gifted it many a time to many people um, because it it does have the emotional resonance that we're all talking about here. Um, But it's been so long. And yet the second she walks on screen with those ears on, I, all those, all of it just came rushing back. Um, Big crush on image and poots every, as we've talked about on the show. Uh, And I love the addition of her character 
uh, or the I don't, I don't even remember if she was in the comic, but like I love the it's fa- it's like an elaboration between yeah. her and Sophia. I just yeah. think it I just think it works. I think the Sophia stuff works too. Um, I think you need it. I think you need to have these other characters who are who are our entry point to Barbara, right? In the book, you follow Barbara. Uh, and you you you're in her head, and and you can follow her along on these adventures. But it, I I just you need to see how sh- her behavior and her um her stuckness is affecting the people that love her, the people that care about her, like her older sister. Um, and like this, this adorable best friend that, that, that comes into her life and just wants to be there for her. You know, um, I just think that it's, it's so good. Um, the film is very visual. I love that it, it almost has that comic book, um, that comic book technique where everyone wears the same outfit all the time no matter what day of the week it is or how many months have passed. Like, I was just like, how many times has Sophia worn those like plaid pants and that yellow raincoat? Like, I just, and I, I love it. I love it. And I, and the, the bully wears that same stupid black and pink, you know, uh, sweater, whatever, you know, yeah, the like, with the, and the, and the single oh diamond hoop earring. I was like, yeah, and the like, side pony and the si- yeah. literally every day, literally every day. And I was like, quality. this is such a comic book movie. And I loved it. I thought it was so good. I love the visuals. I thought it was such a well shot film. Um, and the way that it just looks out over the water and pans over the trees. Um, I just think it's so, so good and so moving. Um, and Zoe Zoe Saldana's character as well. Uh, speaking as an educator, the second she like put her hand, like grabbed Barbara's hand in that one session, I was like, "This girl's gonna hit you. You better watch out." <laughs> <laughs> like like I was like sitting in the back. I was like, "Red flag, red flag. This is, you this, you do not you do not exercise that proximity with a student who clearly is not about that." <laughs> like I just, but that was just me, you know, and. Um, and I just thought it was—I thought it was so good. Uh, the ending's great. The visual effects are great. Um, it, I, like you said, Bronwyn, I think it captures the spirit of the book while elaborating on it really well. Um, my only criticism, actually, is I didn't like the score that much. That—that's really my only only criticism. I thought it was a little too, you know, '90s kid movie drama kind of music with the like piano. I was like, doo, doo, boo, boo, doo, 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 doo. and I was like, I was like, I wish, cause I, you know, I kill giants. I just feel like has a bit of an edge to it. And the movie, there's and a the, lot of orchestral stuff. in Yeah. There. Yeah. I just, you know, I, I wish it was a little bit, a little bit punkier, like a little bit, uh, just a little bit harder, you know? Um, and I, I just like the line where she's like, you know, I find giants, I hunt giants. I kill giants. And I was like, oh, come on, you know. Um, but that that's a very minor kind of quibble on my part um, about the film. Everything else is just incredible. And and like you said, Bob, I, I, I think that it's going to have a – I think it's gonna have a long life, I, and it's it's cool too. You know, I read Lo- Lucy Dreaming right after watching it. Um, I'm still gunning to see Wrinkle in Time. You know, like these are the kind of movies that uh, they're all kind of floating around the same idea. 
right? Um, and it's it's the it's the you don't know how strong you are. Um, and it's I think it's a really empowering film for everybody, but I think specifically for girls, and I think specifically for people that are coping with the kinds of things that that Barbara has to cope with in this in this film and in the book as well. Um, yeah, I Kill Giants. It's it's great. It's definitely worth seeing. Indeed. Oof. All right. It's always kind of hard as the host to pick up after somebody <laughs> just like throws the emotional brick through the window. <laughs> um, Jess, would you care to say anything about the movie, or should I should I ramble for a minute? Um, I mean, I can talk about it if you if you want. I, I only can't... if you're only if you're comfortable. Um, yeah, because I think, uh, sometimes if someone else can hear, um, the hardship that someone else goes through, maybe it could help somebody else that, uh, you know, um, I'll start off with that. Uh, I, I sent these guys an email after I, I watched this movie. I, I've never read the books. Okay. Uh, I've been shamed for that. I wrote that in my email to you guys. I've been shamed quite a few times. Who's been podcast. shaming you for not reading I Kill Giants? Not not you, Steve. Not you. No, no, never. <laughs> not Steve. Never. Um, That's not and what I've I been, do. I've been shamed for it, but I actually was like, all right, I was going to read it before. And then I said, you know what? Let me not because I'm... I'm the only one going in then out of you guys that, that didn't read it. And I can, you know, maybe have a different even perspective on it. Uh, I wish I had no idea what, what I was getting into. Um, I started watching the movie and uh, once I figured out what was happening, um, it, it hit me uh, like a freight train. Um, I, uh, when I was about 11 years old, my mother was diagnosed with a, um, a very extremely rare form of brain cancer. Um, and, uh, she got very sick and I was that little girl. I was that little girl who didn't know how to handle the, uh, crazy craziness that just went on around it. You know, um, it, it does a lot to families as they show in that movie. And I think they depicted it really well with her sister trying to cook dinner and, and the brother just, you know, and everyone's got that kind of almost anger, um, and I don't want to, I'm going to actually say spoiler alert because I, I, I don't think I can tell it without spoiling a little bit if you haven't seen the movie or read yeah the movie. i would i would definitely call uh, uh spoilers I, i'm, I'm gonna call part. yeah it's call spoilers um you know um i mean a lot of the movie is her you know dealing dealing with uh, that her mother you know you find out at this point that her mother her mother is dying and um you know it's really a big metaphor the giants are really a big metaphor for the um, disease that her mother's dealing with, the hurt, you know, the, the, the anger, um, that she's dealing with. Um, and she's really afraid to look at her mother like that. And she doesn't, there's parts where, you know, she goes up and they say, you know, when she gets beat up at one point and they, they go to, she brings her upstairs. She says, we don't go upstairs, um, because her mother was up there dying, and uh, they treat it as a, a monster the whole beginning of it. You know, like this fake thing. You don't know really know that it's her mother, but you find out that it's her mother. Um, and, you know, that, that really happens with, with cancer. Um, and you can really, that really happened to me. Um, and I was afraid to talk to my mother, see my mother for a long time. Um, I'm sorry. Oh, thank you. Thank <laughs> I'm sorry. You so much, <laughs> I'm no, sorry. No. Uh, you know, and so when I started to watch this movie, it really, when you guys say that you cried, um, when we got to that part, I, it, it really hit me 
like a ton of bricks and uh it brought back a lot of a lot of things that I had to deal with as a kid um you know I I was an awkward weirdo I ostracized myself not not you don't understand why and you don't really know why you're doing it you're a kid you know and other kids are cruel other kids are so cruel um <laughs> and that bully yeah. there that's a real thing you know so so watching this movie for me was was very tough um it's it's really such a great movie though like I don't want to discourage anyone that's been through this from watching it because I'm so glad that I did watch it um that that whole metaphor of of the giants that she you know she's protecting everyone from the giants and she's protecting her family from those giants and you feel like that you do you really feel like that as a kid um because you don't understand and and it's hard to to understand as a kid I mean I went through years of therapy I'm not gonna lie. I went through years of therapy to, yeah. to get over a lot of that, um, and and it really brought up a lot of memories for me that were that were hard to deal with. Um, but y- you watch her at the end um, come out of it and and kind of accept what is happening, accept her mother, and um, accept the things that she cannot change. And you know, we we're stronger than we think. You know, yeah. that's the whole. That's the whole thing. Um, I do want to say that I, I, I was very lucky in the fact that uh, when I was about 18, now, like I said, this started when I was 11 and my mother suffered for a very long time. When I was about 18, my uh, my mother did go into remission and my mother is still with us. She is still very sick. Um, mm. She'll always be sick, you know. And um, and yeah, this movie was amazing. If, if you dealt with that, it's it's really, it really hits it like dead on. Um, it hits it dead on of what of what going through that kind of of, um, of pain and and that kind of sickness and watching you know you think your parents are invulnerable you know when you're young you think your parents are are these amazing people yep. that can never be hurt so to watch a parent like that get that you know this this um, this movie or, or this book I don't know I told you guys I don't know if I can bring myself to actually read read the books. Um, but uh, it, it hits it right on the head, and it was so emotional. I've, I haven't had a movie. Um, I, like I said, I had to write an email to these guys saying I wasn't sure if I was going to talk about this tonight. Um, I wasn't sure. I didn't want to get too um, emotional and sappy. <laughs> I'm sorry that I. Okay. I'm sorry that I'm a little a little. There's no need to know? apologize, Jess. It is beautiful, Jess, and we're so thrilled and proud that you could tell us this story. Yeah, yeah you know, yeah, and so you know, if you have dealt with this, I hope. I, I, you know, I, for every kid that's had to deal with this, for every adult like me, that's still like, you know, I'm, I'm 33 years old and I still deal with it. It's still something that, that to this day, you know, um, that turned my life upside down for years. I mean, you know, I was 12, my brother was eight, you know, um, going to see your mother in a hospital when you think she's dying. That's a, that's something that changes your life forever. Um, and, but not necessarily in a bad way. You know, uh, I got to talk to Bob. Bob called me last night. <laughs> I talked to Bob for what an hour and a half, and uh, you know, I, uh, I I think about it now, and like when I have to wake up for my crappy job, I'm like, my mother raised three kids while going through chemotherapy and radiation. You could do this. You know, I, I honestly think of that. I'm like, she is badass, and uh, you know, so it didn't necessarily always be a bad thing. You know, it 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 made me a better person. Um, it's tough to deal with, but. But, you know, you have to take the positive out of it. And I think um, they do that at the end of this movie. I think they do show that. Like I said, when she comes around, I think she really, um, 
they show, you know, that, you know, the whole thing, we, we're stronger than we, we think we are, you know? And, uh, yeah, I, I loved it. It was beautiful. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I hope everyone goes and watches it. I hope everyone hugs their mom too. Give your mom a hug. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> give your yeah. mom a big hug. And I'm going to see your mom a call. On Thursday night. I'm going to give her the go, hug. Give a, go give her a big, <laughs> yeah. big hug. All right. I'm going to stop. I'm not. Indeed. Thank you so Thank much, you, Jess, for sharing yeah. that with us. That was beautiful. Very welcome. We appreciate you. Okay. Uh, I Kill Giants. <laughs> available no, no, now. <laughs> wherever <laughs> movies are sold. No, it's seriously. Um, you can order the movie on demand. Yeah. Uh, you can watch it through iTunes. You can watch it through Amazon. Uh, please pay for the movie. Buy the movie. Own the movie. It also comes out on Blu-ray and DVD in May. Uh, the movie needs your support. This is not a big studio movie. This is a independent production. Uh, cost fifty million dollars to make, and the this movie definitely deserves to recoup that and much, much, much more. So, if you're thinking about watching it, make sure you you purchase it to show your support. Um, it's very important that we do that. It's worth every penny. Yeah. Every penny. Every penny. Yeah. Um, Joey, you were going to say something real quick? No, I was just going to say it's on demand. Like, you don't have to go to the three theaters that are showing it. You know, like, yeah. you can get it right now on your TV. Yeah. And thankfully, uh, just to wrap up really quick, I mean, I've been searching. I had, I believe, the first um, movie review of it, or at least full review, out. Um, but there are many, many more reviews out there now between variety and deadline and all these other places and, and lots of other comic book sites are picking it up. It's getting high marks across the board, which is really, really, really positive. Uh, it's really good to see. And it's really encouraging for something like this, maybe to get picked up and get a wider release, maybe get re-released. I don't know, but if you're into kind of like looking at film and seeing how things are adapted, you really cannot get any better than I Kill Giants because it just, it takes that story, pulls it off the page and puts it right into your television or wherever you're viewing it and elaborates on it to just a wonderful, wonderful degree. And, and I mean, you've already heard my thoughts on the, on the film. I absolutely love it. It means I don't know. I don't know if this is even cool to say, but like it means so much to me that my favorite story that I've that I've read, it like is represented so beautifully and so masterfully that I could walk away from something like that just being so satisfied. Like I had to come down off of that when we first watched it. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, we watched the screener copy and then I just like I turned it off almost in like silence. I was just I had to come down off of it. So. All right. Let's go back over to the light switch. <laughs> yeah, we've been really depressive. <laughs> raise it up a little bit. Joey. Yes. Why don't you tell us how your uh, Marvel phase two rewatch yes. has been going? So as uh as long-time, month-long listeners of the show know, I've launched into the rewatch of all of the Marvel films ahead of April 27th, the release of Infinity War, uh, with a couple of my friends. Shout out, Dave and Mariella. Hey, what up? Um, and we did uh, the first four films of Phase 2 uh, two days ago on on 
Sunday. We did. Uh, we did Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Cap Winter Soldier, and uh, and uh, Guardians. And we're going to do Ultron, I think, this Friday. And Ant-Man. Um, so we're getting close. We're, we're getting close. And I realized about probably once we started the beginning of Guardians, I was like, Phase 2 is awesome. Like, Phase 2 is like the... I think the longest string of like great, great Marvel films. The first phase was awesome to rewatch, and I talked a lot last time about how Incredible Hulk like really shot up in the ranks for me after watching um, Phase One again. But Iron Man Three and uh, Cap Winter Soldier and Guardians are just astoundingly good. <laughs> like they're just amazing genre films. They take the characters in great directions. Even Thor the Dark World, which is I mean, I'll say it, boring. Uh it's it's <laughs> it's not it's not bad in the way that Iron Man 2 was bad. Right. Uh Iron Man 2 is just dreadful. But but Thor the Dark World even it's got a lot of cool design um, the character, it was so cool seeing the Warriors 3 and Sif get a little bit more to do, uh, some great Odin stuff in there, some great Thor Loki stuff in there, beautiful, beautiful moments, um, especially the scene with the Viking funeral, no spoilers for Thor the Dark World, I guess. Um, but it feels like a, it feels like an episode of a TV show, which is Alan Taylor, you know, Game of Thrones director. I'm not surprised. Um, it just, it doesn't feel like the stakes are really ever that high. Uh, in in that one, but it's not bad. That's the thing. It, you can still watch it and enjoy it. Iron Man three is amazing. It, like it just um, it 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 Iron Man three and Cap Winter Soldier ha- remain in my top three Marvel films alongside Thor as of right now. Thor one, um, just because Iron Man three and Cap Winter Soldier are just so committed to the style that the Russo brothers and Shane Black are trying to do with the two respective films. They take the characters in great directions. You actually feel for Tony Stark in Iron Man 3. Like, you actually sympathize with him. They they really take him down to rock bottom and build him back up in a way that the first two movies were kind of just Robert Downey Jr. just shooting from the hip and doing whatever the hell he wanted, um, which really kind of derails Iron Man 2. But Iron Man 3 has a great energy to it. Don Cheadle is awesome in that movie. I personally have always loved the Mandarin reveal. And I know that that's a, uh, that's a hot take. Um, but I think that in a movie that is about trying to figure out who you are to the people around you, a storyline about a villain who is all about masks and performing and, and who the real villain is makes perfect sense in the context of the themes of that film. Um, it's, I think, I just think it's a great, great choice. Um, and winter soldier is amazing. Uh, we all know my love for Bucky. Um, but that movie just has an emotional heart to it and it is action to at its finest, how the Russo brothers shoot that film and shoot those action sequences is just stunning. Um, Bucky forever. Bucky forever is right. Just another movie. It's just another movie that just like Iron Man three, the way that they balance the emotional journey of the characters with genuine genre action is just, is just astounding. And, And guardians is guardians. The fact that guardians of the galaxy we watched it literally immediately after Winter Soldier, and my friend Dave was like, how crazy is it that at this moment when <laughs> Chris Pratt is talking to Rocket Raccoon, 
Bucky cap is going on down, down on earth, you know, like how crazy is that? And I just feel like guardians is, is really where, where everything opens up. And, and, and again, that movie's just as good as you remember as well. We're really excited for Ultron. I'm also a big Ultron fan as well. Um, and Ant-Man too, I think is going to have the same kind of uh, accolades, at least from me, that, that Iron Man 3 and, and Winter Soldier have in terms of emotion and action. Right now, my ranking is um, the same top three, Winter Soldier, Thor, Iron Man 3. And I'm, I might actually put Incredible Hulk after that. To be honest, oh. I just really loved it this time watching it That's again. That's crazy talk. It's, oh, it, it, I, really good movie. It's, I'm it's, glad you're on. I'm this not one. saying it's not a good it's, movie. It's, I'm just saying. I know, That's but a like, bold it's statement. really bold statement. But in and terms of, bold. in terms of, yeah, in terms of rewatching and and watching them all consecutively, right? The one that has had the most like impact on me in terms of like, oh my God, this is like really good, was Incredible Hulk. And I actually enjoyed watching it this time around, more so even than Iron Man, Iron Man 2, obviously, um, than either the Iron Man movies. Um, and it's right up there with First Avenger, Cap, Cap First Avenger with me too, um, and, Avengers t- and Avengers as well. But I, I, I really liked Incredible Hulk more than the, the first two Iron Man films, which is surprising to say. Um uh, but I, I that really, really enjoyed it. That first Avengers was so good. It really, it is. And I think that one of the reasons why it, it remains so high on my first list though, is because I was still caught up in like 2012 me and mm-hmm. all of the fervor of that film. When mm-hmm. you rewatch it in the sequence, um, it loses a little bit of the luster. I'm not going to lie. And I, I'm, and I'm also wondering if I like, it's going to sound like weird, but like, now that I'm older, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like if, 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 uh, the incredible Hulk's handling of kind of like a little bit more dramatic, um, kind of a little bit more, uh, melodramatic pulpier superhero film, I'm just kind of latching on to that, that, that feet, the, the mood of that film more so than the kind of bombastic, like straight action movie that Avengers is. Um, yeah, to be fair, I haven't seen the Incredible Hulk in a billion years. Yeah, so maybe I have to rewatch it. There's no reason to like rewatch it. Like they replaced Ed Norton. The only person that comes back is William Hurt. You know, and, and by the yeah. time he comes back in Civil War, it's like no one remembers that he was Incredible Hulk. But again, <laughs> you know, watching it, watching it back to back to back to back, the one that we keep talking about, the three of us, every time we watch a movie, is Incredible Hulk, which is so shocking to us as well to to kind of think about. Um, but yeah, I would definitely add in the, the, the huge leap from Ang Lee's. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) And I just feel like, you know, my top three have not changed. Winter Soldier, Thor, Iron Man three. Like that, like I just love those three films. Um, and then the next tier, you know, would be cap one incredible Hulk Avengers. And then the bottom tier would be (laughs) Iron Man, Thor, the dark world. And then 17 other movies, Iron Man 2. You know, like, <laughs> it is just abysmal. But I'm really enjoying it. Uh, we're going to try and do the rest of Phase 2 this weekend. And then we have, I'm kind of dreading Phase 3 right now, which I'm kind of bummed about. Especially, like, I'm excited for Civil War, but Doctor Strange is in there. I wasn't a fan of Guardians 2. Um so and Thor Ragnarok too, I, I had problems with as well. So, I'm a, how I'm many a, times did you see Ragnarok? 
I saw it in the theaters, uh, and I and I watched it again because I just got the Blu-ray. So I watched okay. it recently. It's fun, but again, like the thing about Phase Two that I'm really enjoying, and I'm wondering if too it's after Avengers, so you 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 have a connection to these characters, and the the Phase Two movies are not afraid to deal with the consequences of that first movie and yeah, take them in these kind of emotional directions. Whereas phase three, I think is kind of a little bit more of like, let's just have a little bit of fun. And I think we've talked about it as we've reviewed the films on the show, how they kind of lose a little bit of that emotional core. Uh, we talked about it with Thor Ragnarok and, and Dr. Strange definitely as well, but it, it loses a little bit of that. And I just, we're watching these phase two movies. It, they're just, they're really good. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll update you again when we get through the next chunk. Well, you know, Joey, I got to say, I'm, I want to watch Incredible Hulk again now because every other movie you have put in order, I'm totally on board with. Yeah. So. It's good. It's good, and it's so different. It's, I, I, it's a I, weird thing to say, but, like, Marvel, you're so used to a formula now and a tone yeah. now. Uh, which is another reason why Phase 2 is really good because each movie has its own identity, I think, too, which is important. Um, Incredible Hulk is this kind of like superhero soap opera in a way that none of the other movies, until, if I'm being honest, until Black Panther, Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, they haven't really done, which is really yeah. interesting. Well, no, and that's actually what's one of the things I loved about Winter Soldier was that, you know, you come up, into this movie and you're expecting, you know, superhero movie and they've all been superhero movies and all of a sudden you're getting a political drama, yeah. you know, and that made it spectacular for me, you know, like it played out really well in a lot of ways, but that it broke the mold and became something other than a superhero movie was one of the things that put it so high on the list for me, you know, yeah. and same Thor for me was so high on the list because it like Thor was simple. and handsome (laughs) you know it was it took it was beautifully done it took a simple story and it did it really well it's like when you go to a very fancy restaurant and you order a creme brulee it needs to be perfect yeah it's a very simple very easy recipe to screw up you know because there's nothing that can mask it yeah you either get it right or it's awful And yeah. Thor the Thor Dark World, like Thor the Dark World takes away the fun that that Thor yeah. one had, and I think that's to its detriment. Um, I think that it it reads more like again, it's a director Alan Taylor. It reads more like a really kind of epic episode of Game of Thrones, you know, without yeah. all of the twenty nine hours of you know slogging through this character development. You're kind of just dropped in. Whereas, Whereas Thor 1 had this... It's yeah, funny. But it's, there's, it's funny. It's adorable. It has this great chemistry between all the, the cast. The writing is yeah. flawless. I just love Thor. That Thor first Thor movie is just it's so perfect. good. perfect. Yeah. Another. Another. <laughs> exactly. Another. Yeah. All right. It's really cool. Well, thank you very much for the update, Joey. Yep. I look forward to checking in with you again after you finished phase two. Ditto. Oh, and the, three. just yeah. really quickly, just because it was in the news today, for those Guardians fans that loved Ronan the Accuser and Korath the Pursuer, uh, both Lee Pace and Jimon Hansu are confirmed to be in Captain Marvel, which Whoa. started shooting, I think, today. Um, also appearing in this movie, it's set in the 90s, Clark Gregg's Agent Coulson. Um, yeah. <laughs> 
Yes. Yep. Nice. Yep. Confirmed today. Um, and obviously, we already know Samuel L. Jackson as Nick, uh, young Nick Fury. Jude Law as Marvel. And another awesome um, casting choice: McKenna Grace, who was a little girl in um, Gifted with Chris Evans, and oh, another movie. She's just this precocious little blonde girl. And I'm wondering uh, if they're going to do Kit. Oh no! You're wrecking me. Either they're, either, yes. either they're going to do a young, young Captain, uh, young, young Carol Danvers in a movie that's already a flashback <laughs> or, oh, yeah, yeah. or they're going to do Kit. That's, that's my, that's my opinion there. But, um, they, yep, they started, oh. pro- they started production today, uh, which is very, very exciting. And, um, the, the kind of plot description kind of confirms what we've been talking about, about a kind of Cree scroll war adaptation, oh, which yeah. is really exciting too. Um, yeah, I'm really hyped for that movie. Um, and related the thing that we talked about get when we got to when we got to winter soldier my friend turns to me and she goes you know watching them all in order i realized we've gone 10 movies and there hasn't been a female-led superhero film (laughs) you know like it's you really feel that that when you watch them all in a row um you know go ahead no no, go go ahead go ahead you know what i think is strange according to reports they are going ahead with a black widow movie yeah dude how come how come that was not bigger news why do i feel like that was just kind of put out there because i think and it got like no reaction unlike dc eu movies the warner how warner brothers does those does those releases which is like joss whedon's doing a batgirl film yay right but there's no script there's no there's no casting there's really nothing other than like joss whedon was like i think i might be able to do a batgirl film you know um i feel like marvel (laughs) i like your your josh my josh Josh Reed is eating Kermit the Frog. Like Josh Reed, yeah. That's how he talks. Uh, um, trust me, I've seen the I've seen I've listened to the director's commentary for the Avengers film so many times. Um, uh, I feel like Marvel Disney they don't do that. I think what it is is Black Widow film. They're they're kind of like doing the development work on it, but they're not going to announce it unless they actually like. And this has been their whole shtick since the whole phase announcements right like they're not going to announce a film until they have a script ready to go and like things like that you know unless it's part of their major plan which they're not really doing they're not going to announce anything phase four related until after the next few films come out you know so yeah great black widow movie yeah they're, they're thinking about doing one of the that's in development they want to push forward on it but they're not going to really market it and elevate it as a huge announcement um, unless they have something solid. Because look what happened to Warner Brothers. Joss Whedon's out on Batgirl. You know, that entire yeah. slate is all up in the air because they announced big things. Like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do a Green Lantern movie. We're going to do a Cyborg film. It's, we're in development. And then nothing happens, you know? So they have to kind of scrap all of that. That's fair. Hmm. All right. Well, the reason we... Uh even ventured into marvel land is because we wanted to catch up with joey but we also wanted to lead in to jessica jones jessica 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 Jessica. very sad (laughs) okay so i've been we've been holding off this talk i've been holding off this talk talk specifically because i want joey to tell us what he thought what and then i want bronwyn to respond okay oh, wow this is uh you really want me to start though 
I can start if you'd like. No, I mean, I okay. Do you want to like give a little like like a little like uh, overview, and then I can give my thing, or like, do you want me to do the overview? I don't know. What do you want to do? <laughs> I'm, nervous like do I'm nervous. I'm nervous because my opinions are All kind right. of negative. So, okay. Jessica Jones season two. The way we're gonna do this, we'll do this non-spoiler, and then we'll call spoilers. Uh, the only thing that I will spoil, and eh, you know what? No, I won't. So Jessica Jones season two picks up after the defenders and Jessica is still not comfortable with the idea of being a hero. She wants to keep to herself. She wants to keep her head down, do her job, solve her cases and drink her drinks and just be Jessica, not be hassled for her powers and so on and so forth. However, Jessica also happens to come across a lot of people and she does have a hero's heart after all. And every now and again, she'll take on a case that leads her down a dark path. She eventually comes across somebody who leads her back to the very place that made her. And in discovering that she decides to investigate and the whole thing blows open from there. And Jessica comes into contact with somebody from her past that creates a whole new problem for her future. I will leave it at that. I thought that the season was wonderful. I thought it was really cool. I thought that I liked that it felt different for me. I talked a little bit earlier with uh, Prince and the Dressmaker about subverting expectations. And as far as the we talk about kind of the MCU formula, there's also been a Netflix formula that has cropped up over the past couple of seasons with things that they've released. And I haven't exactly been thrilled with stuff kind of looking back on a few things. I didn't really, anyway, um, I thought Jessica Jones did some really amazing character work. I think it did. It presented some really cool relationships and at the, at its core was a very harsh season of television, particularly Marvel television and I kind of admire it for going to those places and for not fooling around with them and, and really, really digging into the characters. I admit that I was a little bit heartbroken by some of the actions of, of a few of my favorite characters in the Jessica Jones series. But in the end, when all was said and done and looking back at everything that had transpired with how tragic it all was, it was really just this like like 13 episode long tragedy and I really really dug it and I'm really excited for season 3 when it happens. I have predictions of my own and I'm I'm interested to check it out. So um so Joey, okay. Yeah. If you didn't particularly groove on it, then what what did you think of it? No, I I look I I agree with the sentiment right this idea that i uh, jessica jones season one i think is probably my favorite netflix series it's it's kind of always touch and go with with luke cage too um but i feel like jessica jones itches just a little bit ahead of it um because of the way that it, it handles truthfully and honestly um, the issues of trauma, the, the, the issues of just a lot. It's just, a, it's a, it feels like an emotionally honest and open show. Um, as you watch Jessica really 
come into herself as a hero, as a woman, as someone who is looking for a sense of strength in a world that, you know, doesn't necessarily want her to have that and has taken that away from her in, in many ways too. So that was season one. And I think season two starts in such a way that I was very excited to see this world again. And I like the relationships and I, and I like Malcolm uh, and I like obviously Trish Walker. Awesome. Patsy. Yes. Um, and it starts and I was like, yes, Jessica Jones, let's go. And then I just felt like, it never went anywhere fast enough to keep me interested. Um, if you cut out eight episodes of Jessica Jones and hit the main emotional beats that happen, the big reveals and all of that, in six episodes, I'd probably tell you Jessica Jones was amazing. Um, I just felt like there was a lot of retread, a lot of kind of storylines being extended out and, and same scenes just played in different settings over and over and over again. Um, I don't want to talk too much about spoilers, obviously, but the kind of big reveal about the villain, um, of the series of the, of the season, uh, occurs and then the same conversation happens between Jessica Jones and this character probably eight times over the course of the last six episodes. Um, the last the last episode does kind of move things along in a very interesting way, but the the like from episode six to episode twelve, I it took me a very long time to get through those episodes. Um, yeah, a lot of retread and. Uh, the Jerry Hogarth arc in this season as well. Cool character, um, uh, played by Carrie Ann Moss, obviously showed up in Defenders as well. Uh, and and um, I, I literally forgot about it probably three times. And then like she showed up and I was like, oh yeah, this is going on. Uh, it just felt like, again, kind of padded out. I think that Jessica Jones season two suffers the most from the Netflix pacing problems, um, especially because the Jessica Jones premise and the promises of the concept and the prom- the, the promises of the characters, right? Uh, and the relationships between these characters and the drama that, that, that could ensue, it really suffers when it has to be stretched out. Uh, it la- the, the season two really lacks focus, whereas season one, which had the same length of episodes, and yeah, I felt uh, some of that weight that all the Netflix series did, at least had a strong focus with the relationship between Jessica Jones and um, uh, Kilgrave uh, that this season doesn't have. And it could have had it, especially once it's revealed who the villain is, but I don't... Th- Maybe it's the performances. Maybe it's the writing. It it just never really clicked as anything I I really felt stakes in um, uh, while watching. Uh, at the same time, Kristen Ritter's Jessica Jones is incredible to watch, and I love watching her. Um, and I think that's still a plus. I love the music and I love the aesthetic. It just. I just never, it just never went anywhere for me that I found interesting. And, and by the time I was done with it, I had that 
feeling that I'm starting to have after watching a lot of these Netflix shows, uh, Marvel shows, which is I got through it, you know, which is not something I want to feel after watching uh, one of these shows. Um, I want to really enjoy them, especially after really enjoying the first season um, of Jessica Jones, too. That's how I feel. Rodwin, <laughs> your um, rebuttal. It, no, okay. I'm so kidding. Wow. No, I, okay. No, everyone's entitled to their opinion. Mine Absolutely. differs a little. And, and <laughs> no, Joey, I think you bring up a lot of good points. I agree. Actually, I agree. Um, I, I actually see a lot of value in, in that description. Um, I felt differently, especially while I was watching it. Um, I was really invested. Um, so I think because I found myself invested I didn't suffer the way that you did but that doesn't mean I don't see where you're coming from I completely see the drag and the the potential for the drag um if you don't get sucked in kind of the way that I did so I I get that um I as I said I didn't feel the same way um I found this season really really interesting for a number of reasons not the least of which because I First, like, Jessica Jones is an interesting character for me because other than the fact that we're women, I don't have a ton in common with this character. Um, And yet I find myself over-relating a lot when I watch the show. I found the first season, it's my favorite for sure. The first season of Jessica Jones is my favorite of the Marvel Netflix. Um, But I say that and then I have to be honest and tell you that it took me forever to get through it. And I use the get through it phrase specifically because you did as well. Um, because I found it incredibly difficult to watch because it um, it brought up a lot of stuff for me. Um, much the way I killed giants maybe brought up some stuff for Jess. Um, kind of in a me too way. Um you see, there's a lot of, there, I mean, season one of Jessica Jones, there's a lot of, of violence. There's a lot of description of violence against women, specifically sort of a, a male violence against women. And, and you know, you, you can't sort of throw a stone without hitting a woman who has been impacted by that. And I have. Um, and I'm not going to go into detail, but that impacted me and made it difficult to watch. Um, it was incredible and well portrayed and a really fantastic season and very empowering in a lot of ways. And I over relate to the character, I think, because of that. And so I found, I think, the transition into the second season where the violence was less male on female and more female on female. And the the aggression that is displayed is the small microaggressions that we do to each other. Um, You know, the hurts that we do as friends and as sisters and as mothers and daughters. Um, There's a lot there to relate to and to see in our own lives and in my own life specifically. And I have wonderful relationships with my friends and my siblings and my mother. And um, so not, not in any way to imply that I don't, I, I have specifically fabulous relationships with, with the women in my life, but that comes with a lot of work. And so when you do that, it can be easy to see 
where those flaws are and, and where it's easy to fall down on those relationships and where you really have to work to make sure that those relationships stay good. And so it's easy to see where Jessica's flaws are when she's trying to maintain those relationships or trying to forge them. Um, and not, I think one of the things that was interesting for me on this, in this ep- season actually was, you know, the first season especially was very much about Jessica and her flaws and, and her overcoming some of them and her over- finding her own strength and finding her own power. And then this season was in her maybe accepting that she's not the only one in her life who is flawed, you know, um, that everybody in her life has similar flaws and has to deal with similar issues. And just because she's powered and has all of these problems because of the powers she isn't the only one who has to deal with that, that the people who aren't powered also have to deal with the problems associated with life and being in life and, and Mm. having relationships in life and, and getting through, you know, and, you know, identifying the villain in this season was, was more difficult. And I know how you were saying about how, um, you know, when they had the big reveal about the villain and then have that same conversation six or seven times before the end. And I, I, that's a totally valid observation. I see that. But for me, what I thought and what I got out of the season was that there wasn't really a villain. It wasn't a clearly defined villainous role. Um, absolutely, there was sort of a villainous role. Tendencies. There were definitely villainous tendencies, but it was not clear cut absolutely not black and white the way it was in the first one and you know there was a lot of interesting sort of sub story in season one to try and um, make Kilgrave a little bit more understandable and that was really interesting and I enjoyed that but in season two there was way more gray than black and white Mm. and I thought that was a fantastic story development and that made it a lot more interesting because to me there was no specific villain you know there was a lot of villainous activity but there was no villain particularly which I really enjoyed um you know there were there was a lot of who well what do I do with this now <laughs> you know and there was a lot of okay so this is terrible and I still have to deal with it. And that's that's pretty real for a for a superhero show, you know? Yeah. So I find Jessica Jones a really gritty application and it follows a little bit of a different path than the average Netflix application because it doesn't have the okay, so we fight a big bad. Yeah, yeah I think that um something really interesting is Buffy season six yeah, gets a lot of criticism for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. And I love that season. And there's um, a lot of Buffy season six in this. Yes. That's a, that's how I felt. The, the And I think that the, the difference for me is um, I, 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 I really appreciate this kind of like thematic reading that, that you're giving here. Cause it, it makes a lot of sense. I think the difference for me is the technical elements of it. You know, I, I, I didn't know. I don't know if, like I said, I think the problem for me was more, I really felt 
pacing. I really felt writing. I really felt um, kind of character motivations, especially for for the character that I felt suffered most in this season. Uh, from do we want to go into spoilers now? Yeah, let's do it. Um, All right, this is your warning. <laughs> The character... Spoilers for Jessica Jones season two. Sorry, yeah. Joey. I'm just no, no, no. To and... Go, go through the motions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the character that, like, you know, I we also talked a lot about during season one as being really kind of um, all over the place was was Trish Walker. Uh, yeah, I feel you. You know, I'm and it's it's rough because like uh, we Patsy Walker, Pocah, let's go. Here we go, right? And yeah, and yeah, the, yeah. and the big kind of end of this season is like she's got powers, yay, right? And it's like. That's awesome, and I'm so happy that we're gonna get some Hellcat. Um, but how she got there, I was like, "Girl, like, yeah, she's got a lot to come back from." You got a lot to come back from, a lot. And um, the big issue for me is I love the idea of Jessica Jones versus her mom. I think that's such a cool premise because, like you're saying. It's such a more it's a much more nuanced idea and it allows for, you know, this idea that you're talking about, which is the kind of the sins of the mother committed onto the daughter. Right. Uh, and, and onto the family. Right. And I, I love that. And, and when that was introduced in episode five or whatever, that that's the, the, the way we were going with the with the series. Um, I was like, this is awesome. And then I just felt like it never really capitalized it on a way that felt emotionally charged enough to elicit a response. Um, and then maybe that's, maybe that's just me. Maybe that's just my perspective on, on, on how that narrative should go and can go from my own experience. I don't know. Um, but I, I think that this, this season tries to have its cake and eat it too with the mother character by pitching her as this kind of like Hulk rage villain, but also try and explore this um, mother daughter relationship as well. And I, I never, I don't think it really strikes a, a good enough balance to really give the season the focus that it needs with that relationship. Um, and uh, the ending, the resolution to that story line in the final episode with 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 trish showing up um does didn't feel didn't didn't tie things up nicely enough for me and that's not the right way to put that but like it didn't address the it didn't address the issues like it, it didn't resolve the the arc of the season right uh for me in any real way um I think that's where it comes from. Like, again, I, I, I love the, the promise of that idea, especially kind of conceptually what that could mean. I think it's more the execution for me that really took me out of it. Like I said, if this, if this series had been seven episodes instead of 13, and they really tied in tightly into what makes that relationship tick um, and ultimately explode, I think I'd be, I'd be singing another tune right now. But I think that this season, trying to do that nuanced storytelling and that complexity really suffers under the weight of having to fill 13 hours. Yeah, and as I said, I, I can see that argument. Like, I, I I think that's totally valid. I just, for me, I emotionally connected 
more than enough to kind of overcome that. I, for me, I was on board for all 13 hours. Right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that was, that was awesome. <laughs> that, was very, that was excellent. <laughs> that was really everything I hoped for and more. It was the I kill giants of Jessica Jones season two. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the, and I, well, I just got to ask to Bronwyn, the B plot with, Hogarth and uh-huh. and 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 all that stuff. Like, and there's another thing where I'm like, oh my god, girls got this like she got ALS and like this is like this is terrifying. And when they when they pitch that in the first episode or second episode, I'm like, this is gonna go some really emotionally deep places. And yeah. then and then it like only pops up literally like every three episodes. They'll have like a ten minute like, and here's the B plot right yeah. uh, that that pops up. And it's just another thing that I was just like. Why even bother? Because it didn't. Yeah. It didn't feel like it tied in with what Jessica was going through. No, for me that was that was the only part that didn't really come together was the Hogarth stuff, especially kind of how that wrapped up. Like for me, like honestly, the Hogarth. It's like Hogarth went off the rails. Which, after having a diagnosis like ALS, I can totally understand going off the rails absolutely you know so that was within parameters for that character yeah you know but did it um, fit into this season is the question and, and it, this well, is another thing where like the threads aren't tied nicely enough together like i appreciate that storyline and i love like the the pain that she goes through i think is really good and carrie yeah. does a great job of playing it and you see yes. that 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 spiraling but I'm, it's happening. It's happening parallel to like yeah. all these other things, and I'm like, what? I don't. I forgot about you. <laughs> I think the weak point for me was actually the um, the character that ties them together, which was the uh, the nurse. Yes. I didn't. I didn't buy her at any point. Yeah. She just. She didn't sell it for me. Um, everybody else was okay, and if I think if that character and that if that linchpin had been a bit stronger then maybe it could have worked but i she i just didn't buy her i didn't i didn't like her i didn't i didn't buy her backstory i didn't buy her performance i every sort of point in her story arc felt off to me so that didn't work um and then the only time at which Hogarth seemed to come back into her herself was at the end when she started manipulating them back, you know? Right. And then it was sort of like, oh, yay, Hogarth is back. But then it was like, okay, well, what? She just doesn't have ALS anymore? Oh, no, she does. She's just ignoring it. Okay, well, good. Yeah. What? Like, right. and, and the show's over, right? Like, it's like okay. Oh, okay, great. So uh, it, it just didn't seem to go anywhere, which... So I was just like, well, why did we bother doing that? Right. And again, I think like, this is part of the, like, we got 13 episodes to fill, and... People liked Hogarth in the first season, and we got to find a way to, to to fill this to fill this uh, time. Yeah, and I really like Hogarth. I just wish they had gone with a different side story for her. Yeah. Alas. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what do you say we do uh, a few of our usuals and end this thing? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Let's tell everybody what we're looking forward to in uh, this new comic book day. Who's got a list? 
I have a list. Bob, hey, he's hey. still here. How you doing, Bob? Good. Been a while. Yeah, well, you know, stuff happens. <laughs> Today in the store, or whenever you're listening, Moon Girl, number 29, with some more Fantastic Four, Super Scroll, Galactusy sort of stuff going on over there. Perhaps there's Doomsday Clock number four. I'm not going to say there is until I put my hands on one, because <laughs> who knows? But we also have Abbott number three, Black Magic number 11, and I am really interested in checking out Bubba Hotep number one. I'm sorry, what? Bubba Hotep. <laughs> That's coming out tomorrow or, yes. or whatever? Yes. <laughs> yes, new comic book thing. I wrote an article for that months ago. I had no idea that was coming out tomorrow. <gasps> okay. Like Bubba Hotep, the movie Bubba Hotep? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's a prequel, I think. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Do you know the, the creative team on that? Uh, no, off the top of my head, I don't. But we can All look right. that up for folks. Uh, Joe, is that your whole list? That's it. Sounds like a good one. Light list. Joey, do you have any books? You'll yeah, just a handful. Uh, actually, referencing things we just talked about, Breathless Number 1 from Black Mask, uh, described yep. as Buffy, except the big bad is Big Pharma. I think that's... Nice. I'm in. Uh, and Jessica Jones Number 18, which is Bendis' final issue, um, which is pretty crazy to think about, um, that they're going to be handing it off to, to somebody else after this, which is pretty wild. Uh, and the last issue as of right now for kid lobotomy uh, comes out this week as well. Nice. Mm-hmm. Jessica, do you have any books? I got a couple. And Bob, I'd like to say that we should get actually get doomsday clock. Cause oh. I got it in my email. Oh. Um, uh, I set up a lovely thing for all our customers that gives everybody a, a, an email when we send out our list that what's going to be in your bag for that week. Bob gets those emails, right? Did you? Yes, I do. Yeah. Bob. <laughs> so black I got, I got, my, yeah, I got, I got my black magic. I got Abbott. I got the doomsday clock is on there. Uh, saga number 50 is what? on there. Yeah. Yeah. I got detectives in that list coming out. I will also be picking up breathless, um, breathless. I can't speak anymore. Mm. Um, and Alice, Alice, however we say it, we all said it something differently. Uh, number two comes out. Uh, <laughs> so I'll probably talk about both of them the next time I'm on. Right. Um, cause I love the first one. It was adorable. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's what I got going on for next week for this week tomorrow. Where are we? <laughs> what day is now, it? Right this, now. I just say what? this new comic book day, day? because yeah, where are get we? away with it being whatever time this week, this week um, for me I've got breath, uh, breathless yes, Bref- you breathless did with, with two F's breathless number one breathless with champions breathless okay Abbott number three Batgirl number 21 Doomsday Clock number four, Moon Girl. Is it still Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? I think in the postal things, yes, but on the cover, it just says Moon Girl for right now. All right, whatever number Bob said earlier, because I had to add it to my list. Uh, Mother Panic, Gotham AD number one, uh, imagines a Gotham without Batman. So that'll be interesting. Black Magic number 11, Hit Girl number two saga number 50 and days of hate number three days of hate was really good by the way <laughs> we didn't talk about the second issue when it came out but it was really good all right well, how about you what are you picking up well 
I have the benefit of every single thing that Steve buys, I get. <laughs> wow, there you go. So I'm I'm pretty excited about all of that, but especially Black Magic number eleven, and I'm totes going to read it before he even gets to it. Yes, and in in Bronwyn's reading of Mighty Thor, the uh, Thor God of Thunder run is on like super sale right now, so we might pick that up as well so that she can read that and start from the very beginning. Yes, so I'm on a long Thor run for the next little while. Enjoy. I think I will. Epic it will be. <laughs> All righty. I think we should. Uh, I think we should. I think we should do this. I think. Call it. Show. It's done. Does anybody have any closing statements or remarks or anything they would like to announce? Speak yes. Now. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. Quick, quickly. First, I do want to say it's it's a two part thing. Uh, to Sarah, hope that she's feeling better and she'll be able to join us soon. And second, to say thank you, she sent me a lovely little care package that included the trade of God Shaper and Spider-Man Homecoming and Barefoot Gen. They re-released the the anime films. Oh, cool. DVD. So she sent those out. So thank you very much, Sarah. Nice. Nice. All right. Anybody else? Okay, <laughs> that's going to do it for this week's edition of the Talking Comics podcast. As always, you can send us your comments and questions through our email podcast at talkingcomicbooks.com. We are also on Twitter at Talking Comics. And don't forget to check out talkingcomicbooks.com for news, reviews, and articles about all kinds of things like comics, video games, TV shows, and much more. We also have podcasts of every flavor, including Talking Games, Movies, Valiant, Adventure, and Disassembled. <laughs> and now... The ladies, the ladies are about Yay! Yay! Yeah. Coming soon. That <laughs> theme song is going to be fierce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to get somebody on that. Well, uh, I have an idea. Joey, we're looking at you. Yeah, ready? Are you ready? Here it comes. Wind chimes, little wind chimes. I kill giants. All right. So if you want to reach out to Bob, how can everybody find you? Old fashioned email Bob Breyer at talkingcomicbooks.com. And Joey, how about you? At Joey Bracino. Jessica. I'm at, at Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica for all the things. <laughs> all the things. <laughs> yeah, that's at Jessica. Thanks. <laughs> Prob- probably. In normal. I'm at Shiny Baby V on all the things. <laughs> And I am at dead underscore anchorus on all of the things as well. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and staying with us through this kooky podcast. It's been wonderful. I needed this tonight real bad. I want to thank everybody that's here. You're all beautiful. And I love you. And I love spending one night a week or two nights, two nights a month or whatever. Whenever you're on the show, it is always a pleasure. Bronwyn, and, uh, he only spends two nights with you over the whole month? No. <laughs> <laughs> we 
we make them memorable, Joey. <laughs> oh, oh, all right, we gotta go. It's time. Hey, time to go now. All right, so for Bob, trust me, you can make a grilled cheese sandwich by putting mayo in the pan. It works. <laughs> for Joey, Mendog. Just go. Have a good night and take five minutes. Give your mom a hug. Give her a call. Think about her for a minute. Oh, Bronwyn. Thanks for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. <laughs> and I have been Steve Say. Thank you so much for listening. Be excellent to each other. Buy somebody a comic book or loan one to them. Do whatever you got to do to spread those stories. <laughs> we'll check you out next week on the Talking Comics podcast. To be continued. Is, what, what What is your favorite grilled cheese? Do you like four cheese grilled cheese or just regular ass cheddar? Yo, you gotta get some cheddar with some bacon up in there. Get bacon, up out of yes. here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, bacon grilled cheeses. Yeah. <laughs> on rye. Ooh. No. Ooh. No. Not no. with you on that. And you gotta sometimes, every now and then, just for a little bit of intrigue, throw some old, old cheddar, like two years old, and a little bit of green onion. That's very specific. Uh, definitely like the green onion. Definitely yeah, go with the green onion. Yep. So no. do we do we butter the pan or do we mayonnaise the bread? Uh, you mayonnaise the mayonnaise bread, the butter pan. the pan. No, you may- no, no, no. Mayonnaise the pan. No mayonnaise, no pan. Get up <laughs> out of here no, with that. No, it's no, it's, it's that's some witchcraft. Get out of here. No, it's a new <laughs> thing. Talk no, you put you put a little dollop of mayo in the pan. That's gross. It's oil. It's oil and egg. I read this in the New York Times. Trust me. All right, here's what you do. You get your grilled, you get your rye bread, right? <laughs> you turn the oven, you preheat the toaster oven so it's ready to go. You, you, you put a very thin layer of mayonnaise on the bread. You, you butter or oil, it doesn't matter, but you butter the pan. You put the cheese on the, the sandwich, shredded, right? Um, you put the bacon in the sandwich, whatever. You put it in the pan. You let it cook. You let it cook. You flip it over. You let it cook. And then you throw it in the toaster oven to let the cheese melt. That's how you do it. What? Yeah. Oh, this sounds needlessly like complicated. You got to have gooey cheese, right? But you don't want to burn the bread. Like then your pan is too hot, though. Yeah. If the cheese hasn't melted when you're cooking the, it in the pan, it's because your pan is too hot. No, no, no. That's absurd. You got to be patient. Every, everything's got to be hot. Everything's hot. <laughs> Everything's hot in Joey's you kitchen. Gotta, you it's gotta Hell's Kitchen in Joey's let me kitchen. Cook you a grilled cheese. <clears throat> hot, hot, hot. <laughs> I am jealous of all your mayo, though. I can't eat it. That's gross. No mayo for me. Uh-huh. Mayo. I'm allergic, to, I'm allergic to eggs. Oh, are <laughs> you? No, yeah, no mayo in my life. Well, no. I, I eat it anyway, and then I itch. Uh, that's so sad. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I was in my mid twenties before I could eat eggs. I was allergic to eggs, but I grew out of it. No, see, me, I grew me into too. It. Uh, like, so yeah. I enjoyed eggs. I knew the taste of mayo. And so <laughs> one day, so it was taken away from me. That is so sad. Oh, my gosh. Me, you got to took my mayo away. I've cut, oh, I've cut mayo bad. out. I've cut mayo Eats out mayo. pretty much entirely. Oh, never. Never yeah. could I do that. I make, oh. my, I make my tuna salad now with hummus. 
Oh no, that is delicious. Well, they have eggless mayo now. It's not the same. Uh, it's got a little different texture, but it's still it's eggless still gives mayo. Like, the illusion. Yeah. No, it's just <laughs> yeah, it's oil. and it yeah. actually makes really good salad dressing. It does. It makes oh. great salad dressing. So it's something. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a compromise. <laughs> <laughs> I make a Joey, meat taco okay. salad dressing with vegan dressing. I'm not gonna lie. What? 